Hello, welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 64. For this episode, we're going to be talking about The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for the Nintendo 64. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and I have two outstanding guests for this episode. First, you've heard them on, I guess now, two Zelda episodes. That is uh, Chris Johnston, CJ, from the Player One Podcast. CJ, what's up? Hello. Thank you very much for having me, Kevin, on this uh Time of year when we're about to play the Song of Time and fast forward into 2016. Uh, it's the perfect time to talk about this outstanding game. And uh, <laughs> first time on the show, all the way from Tokyo, Japan, we have John Riccardi from 84. John, how you doing? Hey guys, how's it going? CJ, that was so rehearsed. I'm, I'm very, <laughs> very impressed. <laughs> Five minutes before the show, what, what should I say? Got to come up with something. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, uh, happy to be here. It's first time. Uh, I know we've talked about uh, doing a show together for for a long time now, so it's nice to finally be around. Well, I for think. The- meant the 64th episode i should say too <laughs> it, it totally worked out that it just happened to be episode number 64 for probably the best game on the, the platform itself but um yeah you know we, we've definitely talked in the past about doing stuff i always got pulled back home from with family health issues or, or work issues and it's yeah. just that zelda 2 episode just <laughs> somehow will never happen i think it's, it's coming design. man so, sooner or later i got i gotta have my time at the table to convince you we might even have to Skype. See, even if we do do it in person, we might have to Skype CJ in from uh, America. <laughs> I've heard you guys hating on it before. Yep. <laughs> you, can, you can reference a link to the past episode if you want to go back and, and see why it's maybe uh, a weaker link in the series. But also, I, I understand why it could be considered good because the opening song, like the title screen music is really good and the dungeon music is outstanding. So <laughs> it's got that going for it. Um but yeah, it's it's great to have you on, John. Just because you know one of my favorite parts of of your podcast at, at A four and A four Play is when you guys talk about old stuff. Because we'll get to it in a little bit. But like this is you guys are a little bit older than me, so you have a little bit different, uh, I guess you know aspect of, of this stuff. And it will be fun to talk about this fantastic video game. And uh, I mean, you even did some stuff personally with this, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So. Without, cool. fur- without further ado, uh, we, we have like a lot of music for this game. Luckily, I was able to get access to the uh, great re-release for the soundtrack that they did when Ocarina of Time 3D on 3DS came out. So we're going to take a break right here, and then we're going to come back with the history of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Stick around. Let's talk about the history of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And the first thing that I want to mention is that 
there is just a ton of backstory with this game and we're going to do our best to cover it and not spend a ton of time on it, but it is just very fascinating. And if you followed the game when it was originally being developed and then released, you know, it kind of got delayed a couple times. It, it took a long time for this game to get made and it went through a couple different interesting iterations. So uh, first off, obviously developed and uh, published by Nintendo and uh, director was uh, Eiji Aonuma. Um, and also, I want to talk a little bit about the Shigeru Miyamoto aspect of this game because uh, he ended up kind of coming in and trying to not necessarily save the project, but he definitely had to put his input in the game when the game was running into some trouble, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Well, my my understanding of it too is that it wasn't just Al. I mean, it wasn't just Al Numa who directed the game. The game had like several directors mm. um, on it, including uh, a guy who doesn't really hasn't really hit the spotlight as much as Al Numa has yet, but is an amazing game director. And that's um, I forget his first name, Yoshi Yoshiaki Ko- Koizumi, um, who I think is like Nintendo's like Miyamoto like follow up. He's like a genius. He's the guy who made like Super Mario Galaxy. He oh, made wow. like uh, Mario 3D World. He basically after all this stuff, he went on to do Mario stuff and has been just doing amazing an amazing job at it. But he was one of the early guys on Ocarina of Time, along with Aonuma. And I think Miyamoto. I mean, CJ, you might remember too, because back in the day we were doing EGM stuff and, uh, you know, during this time. And I remember Miyamoto was pretty heavily involved with this game from the beginning because, um, this was like the follow up hmm. uh, to Mario 64, right? Which was like Miyamoto's yep. baby. Um, and I mean, you could feel his influence throughout the game. He was pretty, this was like when he was still doing stuff with hands on, you know, <laughs> all around that time too, they generally had Miyamoto do the talking, like, we weren't allowed access to Aonuma or Koizumi or anything like that until mm. Wind Waker or maybe after that. So yeah. that's true. That's true. Of course, it was uh, composed by Koji Kondo, who again delivered an amazing soundtrack. And uh, God, there's really not much else that can be said about that. Uh, one fun note about that is that all the songs are played using just five notes available on the ocarina. Although by bending pitches via the analog stick, players can play additional tones. Uh, Kondo said that creating distinct themes on the limited scale was a, quote, major challenge, but feels that the end result is very natural. The popularity of Ocarina of Time uh, led to an increase in Ocarina of, Ocarina sales. Like, <laughs> I don't know how you track that, but I'm sure the there's Ocarina an, market <laughs> blew up. <laughs> yeah, there's an MPD for musical instruments, and the Ocarina sales just exploded. And like, you I'm, can buy them on Amazon, I guess. I'm sure part of that also is Songbird Ocarinas uh, started advertising in Nintendo Power around this time, and I'm that's sure right. that's what really led to the boost. <laughs> Mom, can I can I order this this ocarina? It's yeah, that ad run went for years too. <laughs> I guess it worked out all right for them. I was just a recorder. That's what I got at school. I couldn't play the songs from Ocarina of Time, but I could uh, you know still knock out some hot cross buns. Um, so the the release date uh, for this game in Japan it was November twenty first, uh, nineteen ninety eight, and then just two days later in North America on November. 23rd uh this isn't something that i can really put in the show but i wanted to reference the commercials real quick just because uh in the u.s they actually had a one minute commercial 
for this game that had a really cool epic tone to it. Um, it was kind of weird, like you didn't want to get your butt kicked or something like that in terms of the the wording for it. But uh, maybe the more fascinating commercial is the one or one of the ones that ran in Japan that uh, featured a, a woman playing the game. And, you know, maybe you can hit on this, John, just because you're, you're out there and uh, you know about this stuff. But it maybe you've talked about this on a foreplay, but it seems like a Zelda series, at least in Japan, is, is more of a, of a game for the female population. Um, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't <clears throat> thought of that before. I mean, the thing is, you know, it's, it's really, it's always difficult to talk about like the differences in the market here because it really, I mean, it's never, Japan has never had that kind of stigma associated with like video games being nerdy. I mean, hmm. yes, they, they, they are for nerds too, but like they've been kind of mainstream for a long time here. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the Japanese versions of Zelda definitely would um, be more appealing to a wide audience because of that reason, as opposed to like anything specific that the game itself does, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that is super interesting. Actually, the U.S. commercial too, wasn't that, I, I haven't watched it uh, in a while, but isn't that the one that played the Conan music, the Conan the Barbarian soundtrack? Oh. Do you remember this? <laughs> I think I do remember that. Yeah, I need to go back and look. This but they play. Be. I remember specifically there was a Zelda. There was a couple of Zeldas, and I, I could have sworn this was the first one where they played. Not only did they have a big commercial, but they also played it in movie theaters before the uh, like as a trailer. Uh, right. Yep. Um, but I'm not sure if they started that with Ocarina or if they started that with Twilight Princess. But um, but yeah, mm. they they basically promoted the hell out of it in the U.S. And it worked because it was, uh, up until that point, the most pre-ordered game of all time uh, in the United States. It had over uh, half a million pre-orders, more than tripling the number of pre-orders for any previous video game. So I guess the advertising worked out for him in the long run. This was a time when you had to pre-order, right? I mean, because physical copies, those could sell out. There was no digital. Um, And you wanted that gold cart. Too. Bet your ass you right. did. And the, and the free t-shirt at uh, Toys R Us, which I got. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw, but when I was uh, home for my last trip home, I, I you know I dug through my attic basically and uh, and organized all my old junk. And I found in there a shrink-wrapped copy from day one of this game, like the limited <laughs> wow. collector's edition version, um, which – we then looked up later on the podcast on our on eight four play, and I don't actually remember what the total was, but the price that it was going for on eBay was ridiculous. It was like several hundreds of dollars. Um, and the reason I had that is because they had, you know, we at EGM we would get copies of the games, uh, you know, from the press like anyone else, and they mm-hmm. sent us a copy a little bit before launch. I had Ocarina of Time maybe two weeks before it came out, and because of that. The one that I had actually pre-ordered for myself, I just left in the box all this time. Never like it wasn't like a collector's thing. Like, oh, this is going to be worth something someday. I'm I'm going to put it away or whatever. I, I actually completely forgot I had even had it, uh, and then I stumbled <laughs> upon that. So that's kind of like a treasure now, an unintended personal Jeez. treasure of mine. Yeah, save that. You know, that's uh, that's going to be like retirement fund right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so this is where we get into the the interesting history of the game. And uh, like I mentioned before, I mean, we're not going to hit on every little facet, but uh, the game was originally planned for the 64DD, the disk drive system that was supposed to sit right underneath your Nintendo 64. And this would have given the developers more opportunities for not only uh, – 
you know, higher data capacity, but also high data performance uh, requirements. And the, the cool thing with this is that you would also be able to do lots more stuff in the game in terms of like saving things that happened in towns and, and with characters. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. Uh, instead, they had to make it into a card, and it, at its release, it ended up being a 32-megabyte game, which, again, at that time, was the largest game Nintendo had ever created. Um, early in the game's development, concerns over the memory constraints of the Nintendo 64 cartridge uh, led producer and supervisor Shigeru Miyamoto to imagine a worst-case scenario in which Ocarina of Time would follow a similar structure to Super Mario 64, with Link being restricted to Ganondorf's castle as a central hub and using a portal system similar to the paintings that Mario uses to transverse the realm, an idea that arose from uh, this stage of development, a uh, battle with a doppelganger doppelganger of Ganondorf that rides through paintings ultimately made its way into the finished game as the boss of the Forest Temple dungeon, which is probably one of the coolest boss battles in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Miyamoto initially intended Ocarina of Time to be played in a first-person perspective to enable players to take in the vast terrain of Hyrule Field better, as well as to be able to focus more on developing enemies and environments. However, the development team did not go through with this. Uh, with uh, at Once the idea of having a child Link was introduced, and Miyamoto believed it necessary for Link to be vis- visible on screen. Uh, I, don't I know can't imagine... I- I can't imagine right. a first person. Doom was very Solid. popular, CJ. I don't know if you it know would, Doom. It would have been like uh, Kingsfield at that point. <laughs> no, yeah, no that thanks. Would have been weird. <laughs> well, I think the closest parallel we have is like, I mean, I didn't play Morrowind, but like Oblivion in first person. Yeah. In that, yeah, it just would have been a totally different game. Exactly. Um, I'm sure we're going to get into like the specifics of what made the gameplay great, so I won't delve in too much now. But I do feel like some of the game's greatest strengths probably would have been impossible. Or, mm-hmm. I, I you know it's hard to say because obviously they didn't go this route. But it just seems like a lot of stuff that the game did so well would have been really hard to pull off mm-hmm. in first person. And, and I'm guessing you know in development they realized that as well, which is why they went that way. But yeah, I'm glad they did. Well, we can we can talk a little bit about this here because uh, in the last. Uh couple of shows that I was on uh, player one with CJ, like we, we kind of started talking about Nintendo at this time period, like this 96 to 98, where they were defining what it was to develop games in 3d, because you had all these games coming out on the PlayStation one, which, you know, you had like twisted metal and you, you had these, I guess even 3d action games, but they just, they didn't feel right. They just the cameras were all terrible. It was hard to actually like aim and hit things that you wanted to hit. But with first Super Mario sixty four and then going into the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, Nintendo basically just had to develop all these systems for handling the camera, like in Super Mario sixty four, but then creating a more uh, I guess hands off camera that would just follow you in Ocarina of Time. But then the big thing being Z targeting, which changed the video games. I mean, again, you guys were kind of following this stuff way more closely than I was at the time, but it seemed like after that Z targeting stuff came out, everyone started adopting it. That, in my opinion, that was the biggest thing that they did. I mean, that was the best part of the combat. That really, that's actually what I was referring to just now. Yeah, it was like they they kind of made 
combat. I think they made 3D combat with that. Mm-hmm. I remember back during that era um, that, you know, the game that we always compared, you know, as like the PlayStation equivalent, not not in terms of quality necessarily, but like the other game trying to do 3D for the first time was Tomb Raider. Um, this right. was, you know, Mar- it was Mario 64 and Tomb Raider were basically mm-hmm. like the two games that first tried to do this. But, you know, and Tomb Raider, I think, was really solid even. But, but I mean, Mario was just like a whole nother level. And then mm-hmm. Zelda was like the, you know, I think the natural evolution of, of that. So, you know, they had everything they learned from Mario to build on. Um, mm-hmm. And then they kind of improved upon it, yeah, by, by using the Z-targeting stuff to make combat, like, you know, make sense and, and allow you to have all this depth of movement with Link that you, you know... With Mario, it wasn't the same, right? You couldn't like doing like the jumping side steps or the backflips and things like quite as easily because you didn't have a, a uh, you couldn't set your target and, and stick to it. Um, so yeah, Z targeting I thought was like one of the greatest things they added, and and yeah, of course everybody aped it, right? Because it like a lot of things that Miyamoto has come with or Nintendo has come up with over mm-hmm. the years, it like kind of set the standard. Yeah, it's surprising that they did this game in 1998, and it doesn't feel dated. It doesn't feel as dated as Tomb Raider does. Oh, like in the yeah. 3D camera there, you know, and Z targeting is still so good. Like just Tomb Raider's <laughs> impossible to play yeah. today. Even even it Tomb really Raider is. 2, which made some serious improvements on it, it's still pretty much impossible to play where with this game, you can still pop in that N64 cart and pick up that action right away and mm-hmm. not feel like you're fighting with the systems. Yeah. Totally, totally. Uh, then you know uh, there there's so much history with this game, and there's so actually Nintendo Power had this game featured in the magazine for 11 out of the 12 months in 1998. Like this was the game <laughs> that they were really just placing all their bets on because the Nintendo 64, outside of Golden Eye uh, in 1997, like they did not have a ton of gigantic sellers so we were all kind of waiting for this game in 1998 so if you do have your 1998 issues of nintendo power i would go back because there's some uh interesting uh interviews and just whenever like they would get uh like issue uh like they'd be like uh nintendo uh of japan like sent over three screenshots so here's there's a whole page where they wrote like 500 words about three screenshots <laughs> of the game somehow yeah um, mm-hmm. again you guys probably have some history of, of having to do stuff like that but um it was the best one was probably in the uh actually i'll pull up the the date i think it is the march issue where no i apologize it's the july issue where they did an interview with miyamoto i don't know if they did it at e3 but um just having him talk about what was really most important to him about this game and it was it was funny just talking he was talking really in depth about the 3d cinema scenes were something that they put Mm. a lot of consideration into in really making a cinematic game that just was above and beyond anything that has been seen before like down to like needing to make uh the horse look smooth and natural and not blocky so they had to like put extra polygons into uh the horse to make sure that it looked natural for people that were playing the game so i will link to that stuff like i don't know how legal it is to have these scans on the internet but if you go to <laughs> zelgadungeon.net they have all these articles just like scanned in and it's just really fascinating to not only read the interviews but and John, you're going to talk about this in a little bit. But 
like how this game just kind of its look totally evolved over the last I don't know six or eight months of the game, um, but just really really cool stuff. I love those old interviews in Nintendo Power, by the way. I think, like, if there's, if nothing else, like, I really wish Nintendo would go back and just compile every interview they ever did mm-hmm. in Nintendo Power and, like, make a book because, like, it would be totally. the most amazing book ever because they often had access to people no one else did and they, you know, would kind of go, and like you say, you know, three screenshots now, it's like, what? But, like, back then, like, people would, like, run to their mailbox to get the new issue just to see those three screenshots and then pour over them for, like, a month. And imagine what the game would be like. It would build up this like hype and anticipation that I think doesn't. I mean, we have different levels of hype and anticipation now, but it's not the same as it used to be. You know, it's not like when you had that one source of information in the world that would give you these three old screenshots that would like get you so excited. You know, that was awesome times. Definitely. And then just to like reiterate, the Nintendo Power covered this game for three years. Um, all the way back, like 1996, I think it was October 1996, was the first issue that you saw Zelda 64 featured in the magazine. And of course, we ended up getting a full title. And from the moment that there was a screenshot that this game was announced in Nintendo Power, it stayed atop the most wanted list for like three years, which is <laughs> ridiculous. Um but anyways, the uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if we'll talk about your Zelda, um, like the Master Quest for Ocarina of Time, because there was also just eventually trying to push this stuff back for the Nintendo sixty four DD to have a like an expansion to this game. Um, but if you want to play the Master Quest, there's two really easy ways to do it on the GameCube version or one of the GameCube releases. And also the Zelda Collection, I think, the one that has all the Zeldas. Is that the one that had it? Yeah, it has Ocarina, yeah. Master Quest 1 and 2. Cool. Um, and also it's on the 3DS version if you complete the main game. And I heard the 3DS version, so I haven't actually played the Master Quest on 3DS, but I heard it's different. Like they flip the screen or something. Is that right? Or do you know anything about this? It, it its description is a mirrored world, right? So, Which it wasn't in the old one, in the, in the original one. In the original one, it was just, uh, it, I mean, it had the remix dungeons and everything, mm-hmm. but the world was the same. So that's interesting. I guess they mix mm-hmm. it up again. I, I have to play through that at some point. Like it's just like I, I, I believe. I mean, I'm guessing, John, you've you've gone through like typing in Zelda and the Legend of Zelda and playing through the Master Quest of that game too, the second quest. <laughs> I played through, yeah, yeah, and I, and I, I oh, well, you're talking about the original one, yeah. yeah. I, I played the Master Quest as well, like when it first came out. That was actually the last time I'd really played Ocarina until you know whatever two weeks ago when we started talking about this. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean that was great too. It was like totally different dungeons, but it was it was still a really good really good game. I gotta check that out. Um, so just in terms of the reception of this game, surprise, uh, it's sitting with a 99 on Metacritic and. Uh, got tens from EGM, Edge, GameSpot, and GMR. Nintendo Power showing that they will not just give everything a ten; give it a nine point five. So, you know, <laughs> wow, unbiased. They, no, they were hard scores back then. I remember just like some of the best games getting like seven point like threes and stuff. They were mm. they were pretty hardcore back then. I wonder if they had a policy or something about like not giving games tens, but <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember because yeah. I actually did the big so in EGM back in the day, you know, we did uh we had like one guy would do the big review, which was like mm-hmm. maybe 
two and a half times as long as the others. And then they had the three smaller ones. And I did the big review on that game. And I remember it was one of the first games we ever gave that ever got a perfect score. I think the other one was Metal Gear Solid. Uh, were like the first two. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that, that game that was that was. It's not surprising it got a ninety nine. But at the same time, you kind of have to keep in mind that like it, it, probably the the reviews that it's pulling for that uh, that score are like just you know how all how tens. many sites there were. Yeah, they were all tens, and they were probably like you know I don't know twenty sites back then or whatever. Whereas now you get like even the best game, it's like impossible to get that high because there's always going to be some guy in his garage who like hates everything, <laughs> gives it like yep. a four, you know. <laughs> oh man, 2015 is awesome. I can't wait for 2016. Um, to, to answer your question, the only games to ever get perfect tens out of Nintendo Power, and this is kind of just showing, it shows the timeline of the magazine itself. Um, the only tens were Metroid Prime, Super Mario Sunshine, mm-hmm. somehow get a 10. Uh, oh, Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker, deserved uh, Resident Evil 4, obviously. Um, Metroid Prime 3 Corruption and Super Smash Brothers Brawl are the only games to ever get perfect scores out of Nintendo Power Magazine. So, wow, not many. Wow. Huh. Hard scores. Um, in the United States, like I said, there was uh, half a million pre orders, and in 1998, 2.5 million copies were sold. Uh, although it was only, it was released only 39 days before the end of the year. Uh, it earned $150 million in U.S. revenues higher than any Hollywood film in the last six weeks of 1998. 7.6 million copies were sold worldwide, which is the second best-selling uh, game in the series behind, can you guys guess what the best-selling Zelda game of all time is? Best-selling hmm. Zelda game of all time. CJ, what do you think? <laughs> I'm going to say Twilight Princess. <laughs> Tell me what you think. I would guess that's a really hard one. I would guess Link to the Past, maybe. I don't know. You, you would, you should be right, John. But it is Twilight <laughs> Princess because with okay. 110 million Wii's in the world, that was a yeah. No, the number uh, of Wii's yeah, you and it was also available on the GameCube, right? So you got dual I, system. Yeah, but they sold like 48 copies. On, they only printed like 48 copies on the GameCube. Oh, that's yeah, I true. I prefer the GameCube version. But yeah, you're right. They, uh, I think you know, it was being a launch game actually was probably a huge, you know, because yeah. really in the first couple of months, it was like that or not much else on like <laughs> scale that you would choose from, you know, so any hardcore gamer probably would have bought it. So yeah, I guess that does make sense. That was, that was the game. I don't remember. I don't even, I think the second game I bought after like I got my Wii, Wii at launch, the second game I think was Super Paper Mario. Right. Which so, was like um, a couple months later, I think. Yeah. Um, and just a, a fun fact, um, two years later, uh, Majora's Mask would come out and it would only sell 3.4 million copies, which is still pretty good, but it is, uh, literally uh, less than half. It's about 40% of what Ocarina of Time sold. Uh, this game has been re-released and ported a bunch of times. Uh, it came to the GameCube in November 2003, um, and it was actually ported twice. Like John was mentioning, uh, it came as a pre-order bonus with uh, Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, uh, in which customers would receive the Master Quests and Ocarina of Time on the same disc. It was also uh, in a special edition bundle GameCube. There was a special Zelda edition GameCube that came with uh, Zelda 1, Zelda 2, Ocarina of Time, and the Master's Quest. And also, I believe it came with a demo for uh, the Wind Waker. Um, Didn't it come with the Majora's Mask also? You're probably right, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, maybe actually, I think that four game 
pack was actually Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Zelda 1, Zelda 2, and not yep. the uh, Master Quest. That sounds right. Yeah, Nintendo actually put out a strategy guide for that <laughs> bonus disc. Your versus strategy guide, CJ. No, 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 no. no, no. I, well, the Nintendo guide uh, has those four games on it. It's, it's oh. weird that they put out a strategy guide for a bonus disc, but they did, <laughs> and I have that guide. That's have, pretty awesome. Do you have three <laughs> copies? No, just one. Okay. Um, <laughs> It also came out on the iQ in China in November 2003, and then on the Wii Virtual Console, February 26, 2007, the Wii U Virtual Console, July 2015, and as we mentioned before, the 3DS version came out June 16, 2011, and that game sold 4 million copies at this point, or I guess up until uh, about the end of the year or maybe it was like November 2015 were the numbers. And it's also just recently got a reprint, but it is still constantly sold out here in the States at major retailers. Like Amazon does not have copies because uh, Nintendo just doesn't print enough of these copies. They just like having it be a uh, hard to find game. Thanks. <sighs> okay. So I think we got the, uh, the history of the game out of the way. Um, I'm sure there might be some more stuff that, that comes back up. I wish we could just do a whole segment on how <laughs> like rad the 64 DD could have been and how much I wanted that thing. But I have one. I have a, th- a 64 DD. <laughs> it's did? like sitting in my closet. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't, <clears throat> it was very hard to get at the time. Um, we actually got ours at EGM from our, our Japan correspondent. You basically had to like, it was really weird. You had to order it, and then they would ship it to you. You don't go like pick it up in a store, and then they would ship you the games too. It was kind of like a subscription, so the games would show up, and then whenever something new show up, she would ship it to us. Um, and so I still have mine, but yeah, you know, sadly, Zelda never came to be. Um, mm-hmm. One other thing about the history, I just wanted to touch on really briefly, is less about like the the uh, you know numbers and things, and more just specifically on the game itself. Like that very, you could still find it on the internet. The very first video that they put out of this was in, I believe, the end of 1995 when they, before the GameCube even came out, they were, like, showing, like, the teaser reel or whatever at Space World. Mm -hmm. And they showed this super early video. I'm sure you guys have seen it with, like, you know, Link with, like, you know, 10 polygons or something. He looked really sharp. um, Lots of sparks. And, uh, yeah, sparks, exactly. He's like like a little demo of him fighting Astolfos, I think it was. Um, But it's super fascinating to look at that. And then look at the screenshots that came out, I believe, the next year, which the game obviously evolved from, like, the, the blocky, sparky thing to, like, starting to look like the final game, where there are screens that make it look really influenced, I thought, by Zelda 2, um, you know, because of the the, uh, the environments and such. They look, you know, they have the tall buildings, like, in the towns and stuff. You kind of get a feel where, like, That's right. you start to feel how the game evolved, you know, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Mm. Um, it, it's almost like, my, I remember at the time, I was thinking, like, wow, Zelda's finally going to look like the art in the instruction books, you know, which was like so cool where you could like go in the world and see everything and it looked amazing. Um, and then, you know, on to the final game, which, which, you know, obviously was polished up a bunch, like you said, in the last, in the last year or so. But uh, it's really fascinating to kind of see that history and it's, it's all out there on the mm-hmm. net. So listeners who are interested in that stuff should definitely look it up. If there could ever be a case made for how much of a travesty it is that lots of like, like I buy games now that don't come with instruction booklets and what, mm-hmm the like the top tier instruction booklets were the the ones that came with Legend of Zelda games like because you said John just they would put in tons of just concept art I guess and and just beautiful animated art 
in the manuals, whether it be like even from the original Legend of Zelda on the NES all the way up through oh, yeah. the N64 and GameCube. Yeah, that stuff oh, yeah. was great. I, I loved pouring over those. I would just look at the manuals like constantly because like it really, especially as a kid, like mm-hmm. it really taps into your imagination, right? It's it almost like it's kind of, to me, it's similar to what we were talking about earlier with the magazines where like there was no internet really, not with Ocarina of Time obviously, but like back with Zelda 1. And so every piece of media you could get you could literally count, you know, like there's like probably 20 pieces of art of Zelda, like official art in the world anywhere. And they're all like in this book. So you would just sit there and like, look it over and like, and then you would smell it too. Cause you know, those books smelled awesome. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Nintendo manuals had the best smell. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's True. a bygone, that's a gone era now. It's no, it's no longer a thing. And it's sad that, that we don't even really get manuals anymore. I, I still Nick, like every time I go to Japan, I'm still like going through those book offs and looking in the like the the strategy guide sections just because the yeah. like the last time I was out there, I found that awesome Legend of Zelda, I guess like strategy guide book um, that just had so much beautiful art in it, and even like if you need to just get like Hyrule Historia, uh, which is cheap and has a bunch of that stuff in there too. It's nice to look at. Totally. All right. Um, we're going to leave this segment with this uh, question and answer from uh, Nintendo Power. Uh, Nintendo Power asks, is Link able to go back and forth through time? Miyamoto, yes, he can and he must. Stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> back to 1998 and we are just making sure that our parents our grandmothers are getting in our pre-orders so we can get that (laughs) awesome foil god that foil box special edition gold cartridge with again yes i got the t-shirt and i wore that son of a bitch to school i was 12 years old It, Hmm. it i wore that shirt until the terrible printing on the shirt faded away um but we we got a lot of stuff to talk about when it comes to uh our histories and memory of this game and john i i want to throw it off to you because you have some stuff before it was even released right you're talking about uh space world uh i assume actually there were a couple of events and you know funnily enough i was going back and looking this up and um cj you probably remember this but like you were the editor on the receiving side so like we would, uh, they would send us out, you know, that was actually my first Japan trip. It was November 97, uh, where I came out to Japan with Ed Semrad, 
who was like the former EGM, you know, top guy. This was like the end of that era and sort of the beginning of the like Dan Shu, you know, CJ. Well, CJ was kind of both eras, but like, uh, but like basically the new era of EGM. And um, we, uh, so I went out on my first trip to Japan to Space World, which was amazing for so many reasons, right? Not only because I'm going to Japan, which was cool, you know, I always wanted to go, but also because I'm going to like the Nintendo show, which was like the thing you would read about, you know, and, and just like lust over like, oh my God, it's the <laughs> Nintendo, you know, where they, where they unveil everything for the first time. And, um, they had a playable version of Ocarina of Time there for the first time anywhere in the world. It wasn't playable before anywhere. Um, and it was, this was November, I want to say 97. Yeah. Because the game at the time was already delayed several times and it was scheduled to come out in April 98. Mm -hmm. And so I remember being there and, uh, what, what would happen is so like, uh, yeah, they would send us out on these trips and we would write up a bunch of stuff and then send it back and then people would post it on at the time for us, it was uh, videogames.com, yep. which is basically GameSpot. It was just like another URL they had. And uh, yeah, CJ, looking it up, you were the editor on the on the side, like basically receiving <laughs> our stories and putting them up. So it's yep. kind of a it's kind of funny. We've come full circle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, the demo they had there, I, I I struggled to find go through. I had to go through the Internet Archive to find the stuff I wrote up, um, which is kind of funny to read now. But um, and you should we should just post a link to it uh, in totally. the show notes or something. But um, you know, they had the demo there for the first time and was able to play it and write about it, and um, that was like one of those life experiences I'll never forget because like I've always been like the hugest Zelda fan, but at the time it was a while since we had a real Zelda, like a real, you know, like not a spinoff or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was playable there. And it was just like, and there was like not many foreign press there because, you know, EGM would go to these shows, but not a lot of others would go out there for these things. Um, and I must have played the demo like 10 times. I played like, cause they had like mm -hmm. three different, um, three different like tours they call them they had like the and I, I remember this now specifically because i'm looking at the thing i wrote up but like they had the hyrule tour where you could go around and kind of see what the world was like get a field for you know just exploration see how the camera controls work because you know remember at this time we didn't know any of this we just kind of saw the screenshots and made assumptions um and then they had a dungeon tour where you could see, you know, uh, a little bit of what the dungeons were like, you know, with the puzzles and, and so on and so forth. And then the battle tour, which that was where I first got to try the Z-targeting. You got to do some boss battles. Um, and, you know, I mean, I wrote it in the thing. And, of course, I was young, too. I was, like, 22 when I wrote this. So, obviously, I was very excited. But, like, you could feel the enthusiasm because I was like, this is going to be the best game ever, basically. Um, but that was awesome. That was, that was quite a memorable experience to be able to play it that early. What were like, what was the atmosphere like there? Was that just like the game that they were funneling everyone towards or was there still, you know, nope. like a diverse lineup there? Yeah. Nope. The big thing at that show was Pokemon. This was like in the middle Holy of shit. the Pokemon boom. Um, and Pokemon had already been out in Japan for a, a little while now. This mm -hmm. is like when they were showing gold and silver, uh, a very early version of gold and silver. But like the Pokemon hype machine was in like full boom at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and even uh, so Hiroshi Yamauchi uh, spoke at that show. He had like a, a little like keynote thing, which was the first time I ever got to see him in person. And I was, that was quite an honor too, to be able oh, to just yeah. sit there and listen to that dude talk. Um, hmm. And he, the theme of his uh, talk was like all about, and this is going back, but if you followed the game scene at the time, you'll remember all this, but talking about how like the future of gaming is in like connectivity 
um, I don't know if they actually used that word yet because that was a big Nintendo buzzword for a while. But it was like basically talking about how Pokemon, you know, because Pokemon was a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is the future. It's going to be connecting people together to play games. Um, writable content was a big thing with them because they were trying to push the 64DD. It hadn't come out yet and it was delayed again at that show. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> their big themes were like all these other other things. And Zelda was like, yeah, that was cool. That was like a big deal. But it, it was hardly the highlight of the show. It was like, you know, it had its own section off on the side. And of course, it was a big deal for certain people. But I think even back then, Zelda was probably a bigger a bigger thing in the West than it was in Japan. Mm. Do you remember how different uh, what you guess? I guess what you saw and what you what you got to play was from what you saw a year later when it was finalized and released. You know, not not really, honestly. I mean, I don't think it was that different in the end. I mean, I'm sure there was a bunch of polish added. I know, like, his shield looked a little different and things like that. There were, like, minor tweaks and stuff. But the gameplay, you know, was pretty solid early on. I mean, you, it didn't feel very different to me when I played the final game. Um, we got to do another preview event, too, later. I don't know if you were there or not for that, CJ, but there was this thing where they invited some people out to NOA, like, a couple months before release. I would say it was, like, it was summer, I remember. So it was probably like July or something like that or August. And we got to play like a near final version for like three hours. They let you basically start at the beginning of the game and just play as much as you could in like three hours. And um, that was like another case. And it, it wasn't really all that different then either. I mean, it was obviously much more polished and nearly final, but it mm-hmm. didn't feel that different to me than the, than the final game. There was nothing really exciting like, oh, there, you know, you could play as another character or anything like that that they cut, sadly. But... Oh man. All right. So I don't, there's, again, there's, there's like a lot of places where you could jump off in terms of talking about this in 98, because like, for me, this was the first game that like I need that. It was all I could think about. And it's all that I could like, I constantly went through every one of those Nintendo powers. Like I could probably Mm -hmm. recite every single one of those features and every one of those interviews. And I just made sure that my parents and also I guess my grandparents knew full right that I needed this is the one game that I needed for this Christmas because like a couple years before that, it was a link to the past. That was the game that I absolutely needed to have like a year after that. It was a link, Link's Awakening and stuff like that. So uh, I, I just constantly did whatever I could to, to get that out there. And also, um, I don't know, do, do you, maybe you guys want to talk about – I saw some stuff in Nintendo Power that there was also like a really big showing at E3 in, in Atlanta in 98. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there was anything that really stood out from that. I think they had uh, a similar setup to what you were talking about at Space World, where they had different uh, okay. sections of uh, of demo. Um, that makes sense. N- yeah, Nintendo does that a lot, actually, <clears throat> at various shows, where they'll sort of section off a specific thing for you to see. And uh, I, I definitely remember playing that at E three ninety eight. When you got yeah, I, I don't oh, have much of a. I'm sorry, I don't have much of a. I mean, I remember E398. I remember the E3s in Atlanta very well because it was <laughs> it was just like so different from the LA E3s. But um, I don't specifically remember Zelda, yeah, too much there. Probably because, like CJ said, it was probably similar to what we had already seen before. Mm. Uh, now, like like I mentioned before, uh, we had half a million pre-orders, so I wasn't the only one dying to to play this. I honestly think. The the next game that I was most excited for after this was probably Halo Three. Like there was just like this game mm. was just took over my life as a I guess eleven or tw- was I twelve years old. So um, <laughs> it was it was what I absolutely needed to have. And um, before I talk any any more about that, um, CJ, I'm interested. Like 
what, what were your, like, I don't want to say like your hype level, but like, was this just like at the top of your most wanted list? Like it was for so many other kids in Nintendo power. And what were your first reactions when you got, uh, you know, to put your hands on the final product? Yeah, I, I had pre-ordered it. Uh, the interesting thing was I didn't have an N64 before <laughs> this game came out. Really? I bought, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I, both of us worked on a N- Nintendo 64 guidebook. I was going to say, we were like the co-editors on the, on the, what was it called? The like super long name. It was like, you had to <laughs> Electron- like, be worry about Nintendo's lawyers. So it was like the unofficial guide to video games for the platform known as the, you know, E4 of Nintendo or something crazy, <laughs> crazy ex- like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I had a lot of experience with the 64, but I didn't own one myself. Mm-hmm. I had only yep. used them at the office or uh, on loan. So when... Uh, when Ocarina of Time was ready to come out, I bought a system along with uh, F Zero, actually, uh, and and Ocarina of Time. So that was my uh, that was my number one game. Like <laughs> I'm, I've been big into the Zelda games, you know, for a long time, but uh, I really wanted to play Ocarina of Time, and it came out right before Thanksgiving. And I, I don't know if you know this about news editors at video game magazines or or, or sites, I'm, I'm sure, have this problem too. Like you, when you spend a lot of time dealing with video game news, you don't do a whole lot of playing sure. games your, yourself. Sure. So, so I had this uh, thing where you know if I if I didn't finish it before the Thanksgiving weekend, I doubted that I would actually finish the game ever, <laughs> just because <laughs> then I'd be on to the next thing. Like, and when you're in the press too, like you're really focused on future and upcoming games like you're not playing something that came out that month like you're you're playing your review crew, crew games or your review games or whatever Wait, so, so you picked this up on the 23rd and you finished it before the end of thanksgiving break that's right yeah i finished it uh i f- finished the game at like 4 a.m on sunday morning nice <laughs> going into work on monday yes yeah right. I, did. I spent Almost every waking moment in my parents' basement playing game. <laughs> <laughs> I still lived with my parents at the time. I was I was twenty one, uh, and I was from Chicago, so I had an excuse. Uh, so yeah, and I bought the uh, the strategy guide, the versus books strategy guide, which mm-hmm. uh, was actually an officially licensed guide. It's mm-hmm. a official perfect guide, and I poured through that thing. And uh, with normal Zelda games, I, the the way I like to play them is I'll buy the strategy guide, have it sitting on the side, and when I get stuck, I'll refer to it for like one thing and then go back to playing blind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I did that all weekend. It was fantastic. Did it live up to your expectations? It did. It did. My favorite, I I would say it was probably my game of the year in 1998. That was a hell of a year. And 98 was a good year, too. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> How about for you, John? Like, when when did you finally get access to the the final version of the game? Were you playing it for work? And you know, again, same thing with CJ. Like, what, what like what did you think when you got to like finally just sit down and and play through this thing? Yeah, I got it. Not I also finished it on the Thanksgiving break, but I that weekend. But I I had like a maybe like a ten day head start or something because I had gotten a copy. Like I said, they had sent. I still have it. They sent that gold cart. Um, mm-hmm. 
they sent actually they sent it in a treasure chest. So I, I posted <laughs> pictures of this before, um, and I'll send you a link later if you want to put it in the notes or something. Absolutely. But they sent like this amazing, which I also still have, metal metallic like silver N sixty four logo like treasure chest. And you open it up, and just the gold cart, not the full package, but the gold cart is in there, like surrounded by foam. It was like they were sending you the Holy Grail or something. Um, and that's kind of what it felt like, too. I mean, good on them, because they, they knew what the anticipation was like when they, when they made this stuff. Didn't melt your face off, though, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't, fortunately. But um, it, it did, uh, in, a, in a way, blow my mind, though, because the game, obviously, was amazing. And I, uh, I started right away. But, um, yeah, you know, I traveled home and then ba- for the break and then basically finished it over the Thanksgiving break. But um, I did the same thing. Like, I didn't actually – I don't think I had a guide, but I think what I was doing was I was, like, determined to finish the game without getting hints mm-hmm. unless I just got absolutely stuck to the point that, like, I felt like I tried everything and couldn't move on, which, you know, this game was not that – I mean, you guys – obviously played it recently again maybe you you've seen but it was not like some of the things you had to do were not very obvious like i totally like agree agreed playing yeah. songs in certain you know you got to play a song while you're standing at the spot and like if you missed like a single line of nbc dialogue somewhere you would have no idea mm-hmm. so because of that it was easy to get lost like that but i ended up only i think referring to and i think what i did was i just looked on the internet or something at the time or like asked you know we used to hang out in an irc channel and i would just ask like people who were playing the game like you know give me a hint or something i would try to like <laughs> not find out exactly how to do it because i almost felt like i was like you know it was like i was doing some kind of like evil disservice to my you know my loyalty as a zelda fan to like get the hints straight up um <laughs> But yeah, I, I still remember that that weekend like pretty vividly because it was one of those things where like yeah, like CJ had his basement, I had like my old bedroom upstairs, and I was basically just in there sitting on the bed with the TV like pulled up next to the bed on like a, on, like a roller thing, and like is like my mom was like delivering me food every like few hours like when I needed to replenish, <laughs> like I didn't want to leave the TV until I was done with the game. It was amazing. That that unfortunately reminds me of the uh, the South Park episode of them playing World of Warcraft and Cartman calling his mom downstairs so he can not even to talk about it. It's just a terrible <laughs> scene. If you, want, if you want to look at it online, uh, you can, you can go do that. Um, but yeah, I can't believe you guys played through that. So, so quickly because, well, let me, let me take mm. a step back because this was maybe up until this point in my life, the most stressful, maybe three months of my life because my parents played the trick of, you no, know, you have to get all B's. Otherwise, you're not getting this game. Like it was, I've never worked so hard at school than I did in, I guess, fourth, what was I? No, was it maybe in, I was in sixth grade or seventh grade. Um, and I ended up getting my grades, but then there was still that like, they don't tell me if I'm going to be getting it or not. So Christmas, <laughs> Christmas Eve, we spend that at my dad's parents' house at, you know, back in 1998. And, uh, we get a gift every year. Like sometimes they were the amazing, like my grandmother, my dad's mother, uh, I guess it was his, his really his stepmother, but, um, she was the video game grandmother, um, because she, she got us at launch the super Nintendo. Unbelievable. Like we, we, we freaked out. Go grandma. Could go. <laughs> hell yeah. Go grandma. And, um, also like other years, like got me Game Boy games. Like she was, she just got, she spoiled the crap out of us. She just got us exactly what we wanted. She asked us what we wanted, all that stuff. So she knew I wanted Zelda. And, uh, again, I unwrapped at their house on Christmas Eve, the beautiful limited edition. Also like she tricked the shit out of me because 
like she put the game inside the t-shirt. So like she handed this <laughs> thing that looked like, like you got me clothes. Are you serious? Like I, I need this. I need like N64 games. Like I had two N64 games at that point. So, uh, eventually I opened it up and I freak out for about five minutes. And then it's just like counting the seconds. Like dad, can we leave? Can we go? Can we go home? Dad, can we leave? So I want to get back to my house so I can go play this game. So I get back home and then all night, I probably, again, at 12 years old, I think I stayed up to like one or two in the morning and I had to play with like the sound almost off because my parents told me to stop playing, to go to bed. But I got in uh, up until that point. I think I maybe got through like the first engine. Like I was really bad at the start. But um, then the whole Christmas morning, the problem was I didn't care about the (laughs) gifts that I got. I had what I wanted. Like my parents were so pissed off that I didn't want to then go unwrap the stuff that they bought me uh, (laughs) for Christmas. And on top of that, they also got me the game (laughs) because – Oh, no way. Yeah, because my my parents were divorced. And at that time, my mom was not really talking to my dad's parents. Um, Oh, wow. So So did you have to like fake it like you didn't have it already and it was this is amazing or did you just – Oh, they knew. Um, Oh, okay. But the – and it was even better because they got me just the gray cart. So I was just like, oh, thank God I didn't open this one up first. And (laughs) I got to return it and I got probably – I forget what I got. I probably got like some – NFL blitz or something like that. But um, anyways, this is game. And now I want to throw it back to you guys. Like the big thing for me with this game as a 12 year old, is like the first time that I played a game that I could consider to have legitimate atmosphere that I could appreciate. Like everything from going into the future and then just stepping through the temple of time and then just seeing a world destroyed, Mm. just absolutely destroyed. Um, And of course it was just uh, unbelievably uh, cinematic. I don't know, CJ, were you like crazy into like the time travel mechanics? Because that was just for me, it was such like a, like just such a gripping thing for me. I just loved like being able to jump back and forth through time. Yeah. I thought, it was great. I mean, the Temple of Time itself is such a great area. So rad. Of the game, too. Like, you go in there, and there's no music or, like, no sound. And it's, like, it's quiet, white yeah. floors. It's so quiet with uh, stained the, you glass know, windows. And the light shining through uh, the window. I mean, it's it's really amazing. And, yeah, I, I had a, a stereo system hooked up to uh, – I set up down in the basement and would uh, would blast the the soundtrack because it was nice. also just great music, fantastic music mm-hmm. uh, in this in this game. Yeah, I I yeah, I was all about it. John, for you, like what what was I, I don't know how to phrase this, but like kind of like what were the the big things that that stood out to you as someone that had had played a lot of games up until that point outside of like the Z targeting. What was this game doing that just other games weren't even close to at that point? Well, I there I have like a few like very specific memories that have stuck with me with that game. Mm-hmm. I've, I've probably mentioned these before, like on our own podcast and stuff. But basically, like the thing that I remember the most about uh, Ocarina of Time was like there's a couple of things. Like one is just that the again it was like. You, you start, I remember specifically feeling this like when I first went in the first dungeon and also the second dungeon. For some reason, the second dungeon had like a really big imprint on me, I think, because like 
the the design of the like the architecture of the uh you know the death mountain the when you're a kid the dodongo's mm-hmm. dungeon like just so much felt to me like the artwork in the manuals like i felt like yep. this is like mm-hmm. it looks and feels like how they used to draw stuff and so i felt like you know finally the technology is sort of caught up with the vision mm-hmm. and yeah. you know that that alone like really blew me away like the world i mean you, you know like you say if you go back now and play the 3ds version like it's it's still a good looking game i mean obviously it's a little dated here and there it's a little blocky like you know it's kind of funny how and random how like a lot of dungeons have like these perfect squares as like pieces here and there because that's just kind of like what they had at the time but like i still feel like um the 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 design of the game world was just like so far ahead of anything else I'd ever experienced at the mm-hmm. time, um, and you know so that was like a big memory for me. Another thing too is kind of tied to what you said about the atmosphere. I very specifically remember the first time I got to the forest temple as an adult, um, and I was just like so in awe, like with the music. The mood, the music was really moody. Oh, the music which is music. so crazy in that in yeah. that dungeon. Yep. Yeah, it's it's almost like I mean it's like it's just so atmospheric but like I I for the first time ever felt this feeling where I had forgotten I was playing a game for a little while. Like it's a weird thing to say and it sounds cheesy but it was honest to god true because at the time I was so into it mm-hmm. that I just like you know, I'm playing, I'm playing and then all of a sudden I like blinked and I was like, "Whoa, like I forgot I'm like sitting in my bedroom <laughs> playing a video game." Like that's how immersed <laughs> I got. And that stuck with me forever because that to me is like really the, the perfect reason why I enjoy games is like to get lost in a world. And, you know, a lot of times you have to do that yourself. Like you're, the game gives you A and B and then your brain has to give you C and D to put it together, right? Mm-hmm. To make like that, that whole. But I felt like this game almost did the whole thing for you. And um, that was really amazing to me. So those are like my, my also the ending. I mean, not, not obviously yeah. not to spoil, it's, it's okay to spoil the game <laughs> at this point. But like um, I thought the end battle and just the whole lead up to the end, like the final battle at the time I thought was like the best, thing i'd ever fought ever like it was just so amazing when he turns into ganon at the yeah. end and it's just like i remember like i was probably sweating i was like sitting there like shaking like, oh my god because like this is like you know when you were a kid you played the first zelda game if you were you know my age anyway and you know again like you're now seeing out in 3d like in full visual what you kind of imagined in your head as a kid you know when you fought mm-hmm. that little sprite like that little pig sprite and shot a little arrow through him you know what i mean like <laughs> and I, I just thought that yeah. was amazing that was just like mind blowing, and it still sticks with me today. I, I, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I mean, when when you think about how cinematic the game is, I mean, right. what did we, what did we have before it? I mean, Final Fantasy VII might have been before this, right? Uh, well, but those yeah, were Resident Evil. Those were CG cutscenes yeah. and a lot of things. It wasn't like in engine. And right. the thing that's surprising about this game is, you know, when you learn an ocarina song for the first time and you play it, and it usually like uh, has a little cinematic. I got chills down my spine, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. every for like every every song. Or when uh, you know Sheik would uh, would turn up in the Temple of Time, mm-hmm. it was like, oh my god! Like just unexpected twists that that uh, were playing out in cinematics instead of you know sprite based stuff. Or even like on the PlayStation, you didn't have a lot of poly- polygonal cinematics that that offered very much emotion. But Ocarina of Time, like even though the the models are very simple polygons, they they definitely hold uh, an emotive uh, capacity that that we just didn't see before before now. Even in Mario sixty four, like Mario's not emoting any, mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's no emotion there. But in Zelda sixty four, 
yeah, you, you really felt it. And I, and I feel like we could talk about this forever, but one of the big things for me with this game, I think it is just the it's the epitome of it's the epitome of what I can best classify as Nintendo magic, and, and mm. it's something that they still they've had since. 85 and they 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 have it today and that is just the they have this this magic that they put into their games that is different like uncharted 4 looks awesome i'm sure it plays great i'm bet i'm gonna have a blast with it but the experience that you get out of the game a game like ocarina of time and even like like i always reference there's a, a just an awesome scene in uh not twilight princess but in oh why What's the game that came after that on the, on the Wii? Oh Skyward Sword. Thank you. Wow, that's a bad thing. Skyward <laughs> Sword. Um, when you know Link is like trying to, I guess in that it was Impa that was blocking like this magic power, and there's this huge epic scene that just has emotion and weight. And again, the best way I can describe it is is magical. It's just everything that Nintendo did at that time and even in their major releases today just has this special feeling this attention to detail this this almost like disney like magic that other developers and publishers strive for but they just never really attain and if they do it's just something different it's not it's not the same yeah um, yeah i don't think i don't think it's like entirely fair to say like it never happens but i think it's the sort of thing that is that comes naturally as a result of this being these being characters and things that you grew up with I think because sure, like yeah. human nature is sort of like to look back fondly at stuff and and it, music ties into that. Like you ever yep. play a music that you hadn't heard in like years and suddenly you remember stuff that you forgot about from that era. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's sort of the nostalgia thing that I think fuels this. But I mean, that's not a negative. That's that's why it's so amazing. You know, like you you have these characters and things. That's why all that Zelda, the, the, all those scenes with Ganon and everything were so meaningful to people mm-hmm. like us who played the old games because it was like. It's it's almost like taking you back to your childhood and like dropping you into this world. It kind of, in a sense, is like time travel, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like like that same scene with Ganon when like the princess suddenly shoots out the thing to hold him, and you get to like stab him. You're like, oh my god, that was I was probably like everybody was like floating above their like you know floor or whatever when they played that because it was like the ut- the utmost you know amazing experience for a for a Zelda game at the time. Yeah, I love that stuff. And, and the way like everything looks, like CJ was talking about when you like learned a new song, but like I would just, I remember just spending time where I would just warp from place to place because I love the animation where you would just kind of like get transported somewhere else. And just the, the, the cut scene that would play, uh, for all that stuff. And like, like you guys, I definitely got stuck, but thankfully the November and December issues of Nintendo power were basically <laughs> the strategy guy copy and pasted into the magazine and the November issue they did, more or less up until the Temple of Time. And then uh, for the December issue, they put in kind of like, I think it was like the first maybe three dungeons of the the future part when you warp seven years into the future. Um, And the reason why this was important is because in these uh, sections, like they would have these screenshots that were not really part of the walkthrough, but it was just like, hey, this is a part that you might get stuck on, like the mm-hmm. things that you need to do to get like Malin to wake up. It, there's a just a paragraph that tells you where and how to get the hook shot, which CJ, I know you had problems in the, in the playthrough <laughs> of that stuff. Um, so they definitely like hit on – I know I would have had a lot more trouble with the game if I didn't – I wasn't told like, oh, man, this is where you go find this thing because – 
you're not going to be told where to get it in the game. It's not like the owl shows up and tells you where to go find this stuff. You just need to kind of stumble upon it at some point. Um, yeah, that's how old school this game is. It did not hold your hand at all. Yeah. I think I think in general that's uh, that's a plus. You know, and the Zelda series uh, generally doesn't do a lot of hand holding. I think in later games they did a, a lot better job in making certain they did things way too obvious. Much hand holding in the yeah, last well, two. Well, just in the last extent. two, I would say. Yeah, in the last two, yes. But then there's all these side things that uh, are discoverable on y- your own that mm-hmm. uh, they don't handhold at all. So right. it's it's a, it's a balance for sure. And I'm part of the Twilight Princess Defense Force. I don't know why you would ever have to defend that game, but the internet <laughs> is a terrible wasteland. So Really, really. I, Twilight Princess is the one Zelda game that I haven't finished. Um, oh. And I, I intend to. I'm actually uh, – I, I've been playing the GameCube games literally since it came out. I just like I keep get <laughs> I keep losing interest because I feel that the first like ten hours of that game were a real slog. Um, yep. Yeah. And I know everyone has said that it gets better, and I believe that it gets better. But it's just one of those things where like I have less time now than I did. Like, and it's not like I've got a Thanksgiving break all the time where I can just sit here and like you know dig through it. So now I'm just going to play it in HD. I think, but. Um, but, you know, beginning with that game to some extent, and then especially in Skyward Sword, yeah, Skyward Sword was a great game. I loved it. But they went way overboard on telling you exactly what to do. Mm-hmm, like, true. if you sit still for, like, two seconds, the thing is, like, why don't you go around this corner and look at this thing? And it's like, okay, <laughs> thank you for taking all the fun out of this. Hey, but, you know um, Red Ruby is worth 20 <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. <clears throat> Butterfly but I, pins? <clears throat> Aonuma has basically said, you know, in no uncertain terms that the next Zelda is not going to be like that. And, you know, quite the opposite, like with the whole, uh, you know, just being kind of free to explore and and it being an open world game or whatever. So I'm very excited about that and kind of going back to the roots. Well, we'll definitely talk about that uh, towards the end. Uh, what I was sure. that, that I wrote down is like I I kept um, a notebook with I wrote down like obsessively. Uh, like everything that the character said, and I wrote down every character's name because I was so worried about forgetting something <laughs> or like not knowing where to go. Um, so I remember just having, I like literally like 20 pages where I would just painstakingly as a 12 year old try to copy and paste, you know, writing this stuff down. And same thing for like the, um, like the mini games were another one of my obsessions, like the Bombachus and like the, Every mini game, I would always save like right outside it, and I wouldn't allow myself to ever lose like that goddamn <laughs> chest mini game that was random. That you had to like pick a chest on the right or the left, and then I would have to just keep like quitting and saving, resetting my N sixty four because I wasn't gonna just like let this piece of crap steal all my money for a stupid heart piece. But um, Hey guys, how about that water temple? Um, I didn't. I didn't have problems with that when I played through the game, but that is something that people constantly bring up. John, did you ever just did you get stuck on that thing, or do you remember getting stuck? I don't. I didn't get stuck, but it was just a pain in the ass. I mean, my totally. my problem with that was just the 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 it was the interface was not very user friendly in the way you had to change you know boots and stuff, and it just became like kind of a slog to get through. But I. And so it was definitely my least favorite dungeon, and I understand the hate, but it wasn't ever like a like a you know, I never felt like oh this ruined the game or anything like that at all. It's just annoying, basically. CJ, you kind of the same way. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it didn't really hold me up, um, and especially not on the replay. In the replay uh, for this for the show, I I went right through it all the way to the end, yeah. uh, no problem, without having to 
reference a guide except for the very end portion of that dungeon, which I don't know if you remember. Um, there's a hallway with a bunch of spikes, and you have to run up either the left or right side of it. Oh, you got stuck there? But you can't you can't do any like flips or rolls or anything, otherwise you'll slide down. No, you want to run through the middle. That's no, the it's the left or right. Oh. It I is not I, the middle. Well, anyway. Because <laughs> I had to look it up. <laughs> I had to look it up to get past it. And it's like they throw in this mechanic, which I mean, generally in D- Zelda Dungeons, they introduce something in that dungeon, like, you know, the boots or something. So I thought, oh, I'm gonna have to use the boots. Because I was uh, just using the boots to um, avoid these vortexes that kind of suck you in um, to climb this hallway. I mean, I, that would have been an obvious thing. But uh, no, in fact, you just have to run up the left or right side. You can't yeah. run up the middle. It's very weird. It's like, why would they introduce that at the very last hallway of this dungeon? <laughs> no sense. But, uh, but other than that, I didn't have any trouble with it whatsoever. Uh, there's again, there's we're not getting on everything, but two two more things I just want to hit on. Uh, one, I always thought the great fairies were super weird, and the fairies in general, like they're almost uh, like the laughing and the kind of I don't want to say like orgasmic sound that they would make when you would walk <laughs> into them. At least, like I was, I thought that was weird when I was twelve. But even like playing through it now, it's like, geez, they kind of sound. And even how they talk to you in the text is a little suggestive. Yeah, I think um, something uh, probably people don't realize. <clears throat> um, uh, first of all, I wanted to say I think the games are localized really well in English. Like they kind of understand the audience and and you know give it the right amount of flavor. But I think in Japanese, the game, the text is a little. The whole atmosphere and text is just like maybe like ten percent more like out there. You know what I mean? Like. Like there's things you can do with Japanese text that kind of you can't really easily do in English. Like you can put little things on the ends of sentences to make a, a character sound a specific way where if you did it in English, it would sound annoying and weird. So you don't do it. Right. But there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like funny speaking styles or strange things. There's I would say there's like a little more like flamboyance for lack of a better word. I mean, if you look at the way the dudes run around the town, you know, <laughs> then everything like they, there's like it's intentional. Like it's it's meant to be, you know, it's funny. Uh, kind of. Its own, yeah, and it's yeah. not like it's not at all meant to be like anything weird. It's meant to sort of like I, I mean, weird in the sense of like insulting or anything. It's right. it's more meant to be like this is a strange world with strange people and strange happenings, and this is you know how they do it. And I feel like that maybe um, yeah, it doesn't come quite across quite as much in the English, but I feel like that was almost a necessity though, because like in in the West, like. Zelda's a little bit more like sword and shield and fantasy, you know, thing, right? And people wouldn't want it to be too kind of, you know, silly and colorful and strange like it is in Japanese. But it's just one of those things where the game feels a little bit different in Japan and the West. Good point. Um, Yeah. I mean, all the NPCs that have kind of ridiculous animations, I mean, that in in part is, you know, part of – you were talking about that earlier, Kevin, the Nintendo – magic on games right i mean it's those little details that that if they didn't exist if those characters just had like a standard walking animation it wouldn't be nearly as fun to watch mm-hmm. <laughs> or play no mention of the rumble pack from either of you guys and this was a badass game for the rumble pack because you hold down <laughs> that that sword charge and there was two levels of rumble it was the, like the first rumble and then the second rumble once you had that magic charge all ready to go, and I just want to rumble pack, pour one out because that. Oh, I love that important. thing. 
The yeah, I played great. I played with that too. Yeah. You have to have the first party ones because we first got the like Nyko brand crap uh, and it just like like it sounded like or it was just the rumble, like it had this special feature was like like twice the rumble. So it like rumbled twice <laughs> as hard, which just meant it made a lot of no, a lot of noise. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was great. I mean, I, I could be remembering incorrectly. It has been a while, but I'm pretty sure that was like the first instance of rumble in anything, right? Like Nintendo would always come out with these peripherals and do stuff that everyone else would eventually copy and become standard. But I don't remember um, rumble before the rumble back to you, Oh, I, before the rollback. I don't either. Because no. I know, like, the first PlayStation controller didn't have, like, it wasn't a DualShock. Like, in fact, right. the first one with analog sticks also wasn't a DualShock, right? They just had, like, the analog controller. And then they brought out That's the right. DualShock afterwards, which was, you know, I think directly a result of people having been so into the rumble pack. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was amazing. I mean, I still think rumble is, like, a really interesting part of um, feedback. Um, you know, we just, uh, nothing to do with Zelda, obviously, but we were just at the PlayStation Experience event a, a few weeks back, um, and we had the, we were doing the, giving the in, a demo for Res Infinite for yeah, uh, yeah, PlayStation yeah. VR, <clears throat> and we had this, like, crazy suit that you could suit up in that had, like, you know, 26 different rumble things all over the place, and, like, it, it wasn't meant for, a, you know, like, commercial release, it was just sort of like a, like a, a thing to show people at the show, but, like, it made me realize that, yes, like, rumble is actually surprisingly, like, important and, like, uh, you know, um, I would say like a really big part of the experience for like when you're playing video games. Um, Definitely, I mean, it's feedback not- in another sense. Like you get, you know, yeah. sight, sound, and you actually get like that, you know, feeling of feedback. I mm-hmm. think it's. I think that's an interview someone needs to have someday. Is like I would just love to know like who at Nintendo thought that you know this was going to be Hell a yeah. thing doing because it's a really incredibly smart idea. Um, you know, they must have got it from somewhere, or did they just think it up themselves? You know, I'm, I'm really curious where the origins of that were. Let me go back through my Nintendo powers and see if I can find a Star Fox 64 interview. And uh, maybe oh, we'll yeah, find the Rumble Pack came with, pack came did, with Star right? Fox. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Best deal in the Nintendo 64. For 60 bucks, you get Star Fox 64 and a Rumble Pack. That game was amazing, by the way. Hell yeah. Star Fox 64, F-Zero, uh, like all these games that came out in that era, like in that short peri- two or three year period were like pretty mind-blowing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Star Fox 64 3D, one of the best games on the 3DS. Everyone should own it because it runs just beautifully and it looks awesome. Um, all right. So, again, we, we probably – you're listening to this and you're like, oh, why didn't you guys bring this up? Why didn't you bring that up? It's because – this is a like 40 to 60 hour game. We could talk about <laughs> so many things. We could talk about the graveyard. We could talk about uh, Lon Lon Ranch. We could talk about Epona. We could talk about so many things, but we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what it's like revisiting this game, how it holds up today. And then we're going to finish up with a segment just on kind of like what, you know, we are hoping for, for the next Zelda as it turns 30. So stick around. We'll be right back.
we uh, made it to the Temple of Time, and uh, it brought us not seven years into the future, but instead it brought us 17 years into the future, back to 2015. And uh, <laughs> the, the beautiful thing about this game, like we talked about before, is that there are a bunch of ways to play it, and the best way to play it is on a current generation console, at least for like the next maybe 10 months or so, uh, which is the Nintendo 3DS. And I think that is how most people are going to play this game today. And I want to bring this up because I, I did some research when I was looking at this, and they made an, a ton of changes for the 3DS version of the game. Um, and CJ, you'll appreciate this. Mm-hmm. They bumped it up from a 20 frames per second to 30 frames per second. Mm. Yep. So, you know, I know CJ is not, doesn't ever worry about frame rate, but I don't. How many frames is that up to over 40 hours, Kevin? It's, Go. Okay. It's so many frames because keep this in mind. Like, I remember, so Good answer. like, I popped in, I popped in my N64 cartridge as well, and I played through uh, the first two temples. And holy smokes, you that that is 20 to like 23 frames per second. But you don't like I don't remember ever caring about that as a kid. But today in the world of 30 versus 60 locked versus unlocked, it is kind of a big deal. And I will say it did chug a little bit on the uh, 3DS, but that's OK. It's all good. Just a yeah, that stuff never really bothered me. Like frame rate, I've never been like a. a- we used to have a word for people. I forget what it was, but basically like I was never like a frame rate, like nerd or whatever, because like, as long as it's not disrupting the experience, you know, it's fine. I mean, yeah, if it's so slow that it's like chugging along and making you feel weird or whatever, that's, that's fine. But like, I never, yeah, 20 frames or whatever. I never felt any problem playing uh, that game probably because I was kind of so lost in it, you know? Well, I think it was yeah. like a different time because back then it was like, oh my God, like this game is doing so, there's so much going on like on screen. It's like slowing down. It's like when you defeat a boss in like a, like a side-scrolling shooter or something like that. And it just like the whole screen slows down because of all this stuff going on. Um, today, I guess it's a little bit different when we have console wars on the internet, but um, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about this because this is now that we've had 17 years separation between the release of the game and today, uh, one of the big things that came out, and I've referenced this before, is Hyrule Historia. And we're not going to talk about the timelines, but this is – Oh, God. I, we're not, hmm. Don't worry. We're not going to talk about – but the only thing I want to mention is that it's, it's technically, if you're into this stuff, a very significant game because it's kind of where things branch off into Majora's Mask um, if you go into to that timeline. And – I probably should have brought this up last episode, uh, last segment, but like one of the big, like really almost crushing things, like if you guys have seen Flight of the Navigator, it's kind of like that, where Link is then sent back at the end of the game, seven years back into the past. And for all this stuff that he's gone through, all this change that he's made, he then has to go back seven years and... It's just I don't know. It's maybe it was just weird for me, but I just thought it was. Uh, Dude, you're still young. I would give a lot to go back seven years. Right now. Okay, so good for Link. Going back seven years, knowing what you know now, but now you're in a different, separate timeline, and this is where timeline A B dash. All right, anyways. Um, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't want to get super into the timeline either. But I will say, like, I am one of the probably fewer people, I guess, who thinks like people should not give a shit about the timeline totally. part exactly. of the French because, like. 
you know, when we played the games, the timeline wasn't an issue. It was very simple. It was like we knew this took place before stuff that happened before, but that's mm-hmm. it. Like we didn't know when and where and why. The timeline, I think, <clears throat> I, well, I shouldn't say I think. I mean, I don't. Well, I guess I have to. I don't. I don't know for sure, but I. I think it's pretty clear that the timeline was was created after the fact. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they obviously had a big meeting in a room and put everything up on a wall, and we're like, how can we make this make <laughs> sense? You know what I mean? And yeah. that's the thing. It was never meant to make sense. Um, I think it's it's fun to be able. You know, when they specifically say like the Skyward Sword was the origin story and blah blah blah, that's fine. But mm-hmm. like. I don't like the idea that the games that I grew up with are like the games that happened when he failed or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's what the timeline is saying. That's dumb. I mean, that's like not, um, I don't know. To me, that's like not an interesting way to do it. So in my mind, like, I don't think about the timeline too much. It's more just about like how your personal experience with the game, you know, kind of how it impacted you. It's kind of your own timeline, if you will. Yeah, don't don't like turn this into thinking about like what happened on Lost or something like that because it's just <laughs> it's not going to make you happier. It's just right. going to make you sadder. <laughs> so, um uh as I mentioned before, uh 3DS release um had a bunch of changes. And some of the biggest ones though were like I said the performance was a little bit better. Obviously the 3D, uh they turned the iron boots from equipment into an item, so it's a lot easier to switch between iron boots uh on and off on the yep. fly for the water temple and in the water good. temple they like they like really just tell you where to go like there are lines pointing you to where you need <laughs> to play the songs to raise the water level there are signs Sorry. on the wall that tell you where the water is going to go um so it made everybody happier i guess when it came to having to go through that stuff and also uh there are boss challenges now so I didn't. I didn't even realize this, so I just read this before the show. But if you go back to your bed uh, that you start the game at, you can actually go into your bed and refight any of the bosses that you've already beaten. Yeah, yeah, I think like somebody mentions it in the game too. Maybe oh. it's Sheik that mentions uh, that you can do it. Oh, yeah. I think it unlocks like after you uh, go forward and in, into the future the first time. Cool, or something like that. Um. And uh, like I mentioned before, the the master quest. So um, I mean, CJ, you did, were you able to make it all the way to the end? I know you had to go see Star Wars today. You're seated like 14 weeks late, but um, <laughs> how, how does the game hold up on the 3ds? And do you still feel that magic? I think the game holds up really well on the 3ds. Um, yeah, I, I did not get all the way through it. Uh, I think I will, though, uh, after after we're done recording. I'll You're play in the rhythm. More. Yeah, I'm, I'm close. I'm in the Shadow Temple. So, you know, not I'm in the home stretch, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it holds up really well. You know, they also added that hint system, right, where you can uh, That's right. go into the stone and uh, and see a vision of your future and they have the same system in Majora's Mask they've refined it in Majora's Mask a lot because I found portions where I was stuck and instead of uh, wanting to go to a guidebook or onto the internet to, to check something out I would try the uh, the stone first and it wouldn't have anything like it wouldn't have a hint versus Majora's Mask you play that now 
Uh, and it has a really good system for pointing where pointing you in the right direction of where you should go next or what you should do. And it's very subtle. I mean, they only show you very short glimpses of what you should do. Remember when people were freaking out about that? Or maybe that was on like the Wii when like Nintendo made a patent where people were kind of freaking out. But I guess that was videos and like Super Mario Brothers or something like that. Yeah, it was the whole super guide thing, right? Yeah. And they, I think they do have a patent on it. But I think it works uh it, it would work better if they fixed it. <laughs> if they did what they did in Majora's Mask in Ocarina of Time, it would be much much better. But uh it works uh, to some extent here and mm-hmm. I I mean overall I think the game holds up really well. I you know, it's interesting we were talking about games that uh that hold your hand a lot. It would be interesting to see you know, and obviously when we were, we were all reviewing and critiquing this game way back when, you had a lot longer time to play something, right? You didn't have to uh, beat a game in a weekend and to post a review on a, on the web or anything. So right. uh, there was a little less pressure there. But I really got stuck in a lot of places, and I wonder, like, if that would be a point of contention for people today because – it it does seem like reviewers have to like marathon through a game mm. and when you're doing that and you get stuck a lot and there's no obvious way through yeah you're, you might not it might have not have that 99 on metacritic if it was mm. released today and i think people have great memories of this game and and love it anyway uh and i certainly do too but yeah there are a lot of little stumbling blocks but there're also like a lot of little um you know, side quest stuff. I mean, you, you don't even have to get Epona in the game. Like, you could completely miss that, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of crazy to me. Like, I, I really equate Ocarina of Time to riding the horse around Hyrule Field. <laughs> like, that was that was part of the fun of the game. But, um, but yeah, it, it it holds up well with some sticking points, I think. <laughs> John, how do you feel about the game as it's like, you know, again, going into its 17th year of existence and now that we've got a couple different re-releases? And also, I guess the GameCube versions are pretty good too, the ports that they did for that. Sure. I mean, I think, yeah, I kind of agree. I think I look at it as like, it's interesting to me um, in the perspective of like, it's a, a sort of a snapshot of gaming history, like where we were in terms of like, you know, developers, I, I mean, were in terms of, like, respecting players' time versus, like, you know, trying to streamline things. And, you know, I think at that time, we were a lot more forgiving of those sort of things like CJ's talking about than people are today. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally still don't mind them because I actually, I mean, I, I, the sad thing is I don't really have time for them, but mm-hmm. I, I actually prefer games where they don't hold your hand like that. And, you know, sometimes it's a little obtuse. I mean... The thing that I found playing the 3DS version is that, yeah, if you don't want to look on the internet, what you really need to do is talk to everybody. Yep. Um, yeah. Because the hint is in there somewhere, but it might just be like one random dude in Kokiri Village or whatever, you know, like off to the side. Like you got to make sure you talk to everyone and someone will give you the hint to move on, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. not, you know, it's kind of an old school way of doing things. It's not like the funnest way to play a game nowadays, um, you know, especially when there's no like, I mean, there are ways to get around quickly, but there's no like immediate fast travel and such. Or, you know, if there were a log that like kept track of everything everyone said and you could just look at it, you know, that might be nice. But, um, like when George Mask, Majora's Mask does that. That's right. Yeah, actually. Yeah, Majora's Mask did a few things. I thought that coming back to play this on 3DS after the fact made me 
wish that they had like patched it to include some of the yes. some stuff in Majora's Mask, like the camera control with the right stick if you have a new 3DS. Because mm. I there's so many games that need that, John. Like even just like Kid Icarus, man. Yeah, because <laughs> tell me, oh god, I know. Well, don't get me started on that, but. <laughs> Tell me, like, I haven't played the N64 one in a while, but my memory of it was that you could use the yellow C buttons to sort of swing the camera around, but is that not the case? No. Like, could you not go left and right with the camera? I don't mean, like, full camera control, but I mean, like, because I know you could pull out and in, right? Maybe to kind with of, L and R. Well, the thing is, uh, with this one, you know, L does with oh, the no, Z button. No, right? you're right, you're, right, right, right. You're constantly using the, uh, I guess on the 3DS, it's the L button to sort of swing the camera behind you but um mm. i just wish you know you could like just instead of having to go into the view mode you could just move the camera around it would make the game feel a lot more playable after no. playing majora's mask um, and after getting used to it at least they have like the gyro uh you know ability in it so you can kind of like go into first person then if you can use the stick a little bit and then use the gyro a little bit more to turn mm. and to to aim like there's i'm actually playing through like majora's mask right now and there's some parts when you're doing a lot of stuff like on the horse and you need to uh, shoot arrows and just having that gyro sensor uh, ability on the 3ds makes that stuff so much easier you know it also yeah. makes the uh the targeting game on the 3ds oh, so easy so easy got it in the first try <laughs> exactly <laughs> Uh, free heart piece. Yeah, for, so, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No. So I feel like the the you know the the 3ds version is absolutely like the it, it's probably it's, it's I don't feel like there's a perfect version because I feel like the 3ds version is definitely like the improved version. It's by far like the most playable one today. But you know, there's definitely something to be said for playing this game on a giant TV, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which you know on that little screen, even on the you know the the XL is. It's it's not quite the same. Like it's the immersiveness was a big part of this game, as I was saying earlier. And I feel like it's a little harder to get lost in the world when the entire world is like you know in the palm of your hand. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. So for that, I kind of feel like I I almost wish like you know you could get all the features of the 3ds version put into like the virtual console version or something. I know it'll never happen, but that to me would be like the ultimate version of this game. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we was- only do the stuff we wanted them to do sometimes, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting going back to uh, in the level design. There are a lot of areas in this where – or there are a couple areas where I wasn't sure if I could make a jump, but I didn't try it. And I could have made the jump and that was like the path forward. I just <laughs> had to like make a diagonal jump onto this platform that looks like it would be just out of distance. Like maybe jumping onto a hand? In the, I believe it's the Shadow Temple. No, it's a Spirit uh, Temple. I, I, yeah, I didn't get to, I didn't get to that poor portion. Well, there's like, uh, there's like one yeah. of those cross-legged statues where there's a hand being held out, and you have to jump on the hand to then uh, use the uh, hook shot to then grab something. So, anyways, sorry. Yeah, I think I'm thinking of the Fire Temple. There was like a platform. There was that room that where the fire chases you, and you have to like jump on on the pillar, and then you can go from the pillar to a platform. But it yeah. doesn't look like you you might not make that. Like it's, right. it might just be out of reach, but you can make it. And was, I didn't try it until I did try it. <laughs> Got it. That was another big thing, though. I think that actually we didn't really touch on that. This game brought to like sort of evolve three D. Um, you know, uh, 3d games in general. And I think at the time I remember when they announced it is we were all kind of 
like, oh, really? They're going to do that? But the auto jump mechanic, um, mm. where you know you could just run off a ledge and it will jump automatically, is actually really, really smart and really well done, and makes uh, exploration, I think, a lot more interesting. Whereas at the time, right. I remember when I read about, it, I was like pissed. Like, why can't I jump? Why would you take that away from me? But yeah. then playing the game and realizing you need to be doing all this other stuff. Like you got you got your shield and your sword and, and your items and so on and so forth. And it's like, okay, yeah, actually it makes total sense and it, it feels great and it doesn't hinder gameplay in any way. You know, it lets you kind of play fluidly and just move forward and feel like you're really like limber and like flipping around these environments, you know? I, I really remember that being a big thing actually that people were upset about. Well, not upset, but like wondering if that was the right yeah. Way to go and man, if the internet was as powerful as it is today, <laughs> there would have been petitions <laughs> to add a jump button in Ocarina. <laughs> well, they did it Operation in Link's jump. Awakening. So they're like, "Why are we going backwards?" In Link's Awakening, you could jump. Well, also you got to remember too. This is right after Mario sixty four, where everybody had the best time in the world jumping around this three D environment. You know, so it's like, well, wait, why can't I now do that here? It doesn't make sense. But yeah, now we see in jump. hindsight. Yeah, you still can't jump in except in Link's Awakening. It's uh, actually maybe in one of the 3DO games you can jump, but um, otherwise. 3DO? Yeah. You know, play, or yeah. Not, uh, no, CDI game, sorry. Okay, I was like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those right. beautiful disc-based Zelda games. Um, so with, uh, you know, this playthrough, I made it all the way through. And I didn't do a ton of side stuff. I just did the side stuff that wasn't a pain in the ass because I think the, the thing that I noticed playing through this again is just like some of the side stuff is just trial and error. It's a pain in the ass. And yeah. um, I luckily am good enough at this game to not need all the heart containers. Like I think I finished with like a first – like I had the first row full plus three more. So I, I think that's 11. I think it's eight, eight on each. Um Maybe it's 13. I'm not sure. But uh, anyways, the uh, the big thing that stood out to me is like I I can't believe how much I forgot because I play this game like every 18 months, like almost to the end every 18 months. And I get stuck on the same things every single time I play through this game. I just don't mm-hmm. seem to remember why – you know, how to get through this this part. Like how do I get that chicken that's like up near the, the – um, the Dude, I get stuck on that every single time. Every time. Yeah. Or how do I get like – and it's like actually a super like messed up, complicated thing. It is one of those things like CJ was talking about like, man, I, I probably am not able to make that jump even with a chicken. Like if I have a chicken, like you can just barely make that jump over the fence and then get all the other chickens. But um, the, the, the dungeons are still great and the, the dungeons are what still stand up because they are even – I might even say I like them more than some of the later stuff. And I still, like I said, I love like Wind Waker. I love Twilight Princess. I love Skyward Sword. But the the dungeons in this game are almost, not at the time, but today they're almost simplistic. And they're almost straightforward aside from the water level, uh, the water temple. Um, You know what's interesting about their design, though, like looking at how it's evolved over the years, like there are a lot of portions in Ocarina of Time where there will be some end part to wrap you back to the beginning that yep. feels tacked on <laughs> like oh, like uh i think it was in jabu jabu right there's like this upper path yeah you had a problem there takes you through and then you have to you have to make sure that you land on a specific platform for it to lower down and then give you access to 
the end, the uh, the dungeon boss. And if you don't jump on that platform, which why would they even give you the option to jump anywhere but that platform? I don't know. But uh, they let you and you could totally miss that and then be staring at a platform you can't jump to until you realize you have to go around the horn into this uh, hallway that you've never been. You've only been in once before. I don't know, to, man. That's your fault. Get- That's your fault. I had no problem with that. <laughs> well, fine. But I mean, you can get stuck on those little areas and they definitely were like it, it feels like they were piecing those together a little roughly uh <laughs> but yeah i mean that that's another that. sign i think of a game of its time right because it feels like they you know they did stuff that i think now either through play testing i mean and i know they had play testing then as well it's not like anything changed but it may be now because of how people respond and react to those kind of things i feel like stuff like that would probably not end up in the final game mm-hmm. yep. which you know might be good in some in some cases it's good and in some cases it might be a shame because you're kind of being robbed of potentially like that true exploration thing you know where you're like you're just left to just figure it out no matter how crazy it might be like the stupid chicken thing <laughs> yeah damn chickens um also i think we can all agree the stealth in this game is terrible. Whenever you need to be stealthy mm. and you get caught by a guard and they blow the friggin' whistle, uh, <laughs> yeah. or you're like, um, let's not even talk about stealth. Um, so the, I want to focus on uh, just two dungeons, and that's the the Forest Temple, which is the first temple that you go to as Adult Link, and it's just. It is, I think, the epitome of just badass when it comes to this game because you you step in and this dungeon has its own mechanics. Like all the dungeons have their own personalities, but like you step into it and you have to actually like track down these four ghosts and then like return their oh, yeah. fire to the the you know the platforms at the pedestal or whatever. Yeah. Exactly, and and then. You know, once you do all that, you get lowered down into the dungeon, and once you do that, you eventually get to the boss battle, which is the um, oh, my Windows machine's yelling at me. But uh, you you get into uh, that boss battle that was like kind of taken from that Link jumping into the portraits worst case scenario that Miyamoto was talking about, um, yeah. and I just love like that boss battle, and it's just. Again, it's just just really, really great stuff. And then also the Spirit Temple, which actually is the only one that really uses the time travel mechanic to progress in that dungeon. Because you actually, like once you get to it in the future as Adult Link, you actually read a sign that says you're going to have to go back and do something in the past. So you go back to the past, you use the song to warp uh, to the temple, and then you meet what will then be one of the spirits, one of the sages, and you have to go then get an item that then you will go back to the future <laughs> and then actually progress into the temple. So it actually half of that temple takes place in the past and half yeah. in the future, which is just, I wish they did that more. That was kind of like the only thing I said, oh man, this is great that you guys are doing this, but I just wish there was more of this. You sort of do that with the the shadow temple too, because you have to get the lens of truth as uh mini link and then you yeah i guess i already had forward. that though yeah um and uh there was something- oh uh, s- yeah, speaking about the forest temple real quick that was there there's a point where i'm like oh yeah they definitely play tested this and realized it was too hard is there uh the arrows on the floor where you have to push the blocks 
<laughs> like this this smacks to me of something that they play tested that uh people didn't quite get and at that point in the game they uh had to hold hand or hold oh hand. right yeah there's like the red triangles on the ground yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was pretty uh confusing temple though with the uh the little things you shot and uh you you unwound the the hallway yeah uh, that, and you had the upside down rooms that uh they were a little bit confusing but they were super cool ideas for yeah. sure yeah, i love that the wound up hallway thing was super cool at the time just like yeah. oh man this looks so cool yeah <laughs> maybe uh and, and one other thing we can focus on is the ganon's castle um is where and i totally forgot about this because i haven't finished the game since it came out i think i played it uh on the gamecube when they had that that bonus disc and going through that is like is really cool because you have to unlock all of the basically kind of like use all the items that you've gained up into this point by unlocking mm-hmm. five different different rooms to kind of like the ghostbusters 2 thing of you know having that barrier get removed from the place that you need to go and <laughs> then you get to go and and you know fight ganon and do the whole crazy chase down the uh castle and then you get to face him again and it's just like that is that great cinematic design where they like set things up where that like my sword gets knocked away. What the hell am I going to do? How am I going to beat this gigantic now, you know, Ganon that is in front of me and, and, you know, save the day. But then you figure out you can use your, your hammer or your hook shot and make it happen. Um, and yeah, fantastic ending. Beautiful. Like, and this is I Nintendo think, 64, though, CJ. Like, this is, they did this on Super Mario 64, too. You're talking about, like, the credits? Well, that and just the the set piece of the tower, right? Because, and they do this in Wind Waker as well. I think yeah. there's, like, a long staircase up. Yep. Yeah. And it's very dramatic because you're like, holy shit, like, this is huge. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, in scale to even an adult link, like, you you feel small. Yeah, <laughs> yeah even that's just. hilarious. Totally. Even just getting access to it, right, with like the rainbow bridge thing and everything, yeah. and then like you're, you know, you're you're in and you're going up those stairs, and the music is playing, and it's like you're is very much again like a trip back to like how things kind of felt in the manual art and stuff to me. Like those mm. that design on the inside looks a lot like the designs of like the castle in Zelda Two a little bit. Like if you put, you know, you have to obviously put a little imagination on what it would look like in in 3D and stuff, but it looked yeah. awesome. And then he's playing his, well, he's playing the piano when you get up there, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. He just, he's like he's playing the organ, and then like you just kind of walk into there, walk in, and he just stops and he turns around. And it's like, let's go, it's time to and do it. Ganondorf yeah, he, is a character too. Like, it's just so menacing. Like, he shows up and like berates you as a kid. Your whole, your whole like your descendants. He's gonna just yeah. kill, constantly <laughs> kill your descendants. <laughs> Yeah, and he, the the times in the game where he shows up, like he's just such a menacing figure. And then, yeah, when you finally get up there, like he's not worried at all. He's playing the piano, just chill, like <laughs> jamming out. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite memories of that whole scene there at the end is when he, you know, when he holds up his fist and uh, and um, the Triforce appears mm-hmm. on his hand, and like you know, you could just kind of see it in his face that like he's kind of like. Um, you, they have like the animation of him like breathing heavy you know like he's just ready to get it on like basically and like that was just like so exciting it gets you so in the mood for that battle 
And it is yeah. like you feel like there's something on the line. Like when you go into that, because like when you go through that first battle, like, oh, man, what, what happens if I lose? Is it like going to kick me all the way back? Am I going to lose all my progress from what I've done so far in the castle? Am I going to have to unlock all those freaking rooms again? Um, yeah. But it is just I, I think it I think Wind Waker probably did that final boss battle better. Um, but it was still really, really great. Yeah, I think I get I mean maybe this is a nostalgia thing like and maybe it is uh part of when we were playing those games the first time but you get this you you definitely get nervous at the uh the final boss fight. There aren't many games where you know the final boss fight is something your your hands are sweating during, but the Zelda series yeah. in general has <laughs> really got that down to a science where there are multiple uh forms of final boss and they all they each have their own unique thing and mm. uh in a lot of cases like the final thing that you're supposed to do is fairly straightforward or it's easy um but the moment is still tense mm-hmm. and you get this feel feeling even in Zelda games uh more recently just you get that same feeling of like being in your parents' basement when you're 21 years old, <laughs> like, like, uh, fighting the final boss. Like it, it's kind of, it's unique, uh, in, in gaming now. I mean, you know, there are so many games that are realistic and have final boss fights that, uh, you know, can go on for an hour or whatever, but nothing quite <laughs> comes close to what's that feeling like does it like you like smell Dorito dust? It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what it is. Uh, yes. Did you have hot pockets I, back then, CJ? Oh I was not. No. <laughs> okay. Sorry, John. I, the end. Uh, no, the end. Uh, you know. Also, it's it's. You, if you remember, like it's not over yet either. Too. Like you beat him, but then you still have to get out alive. Like you got to leave, yep. and they they drop you in rooms where you have to fight stuff, and like the the timer. timers run down, oh, and it's man. like really puts the. It felt a lot like the end of a Metroid in that sense, right? Where like yeah. the pressure's on, and it's like. Really, if you just stay calm and do it, it's easy. But like because of the everything shaking and falling around you and the timer's on, you, you can't help but have this extra – plus you're just like pumped up from the fight you just had, right? You can't help but have this like extra sense of dread like as you're trying to get out. Um, and that was amazing too. I thought that was really well done how they did that. This, uh, this game got me to go back to my – and go out and I guess buy a new 3DS XL um, because mm-hmm. it's, it's led me into – I'm like in a groove in Majora's Mask. I've picked that back up and uh, playing a lot of it. And um, yeah, 3DS XL is still a pretty good piece of hardware. Go pick one. I need to get so back. What, what was the deal? Why did you did you not? You had the regular new 3DS already, right? I, I did, but I I have okay. So I bought the black one. But see, the thing is, it launched. We only launched the new 3DS XL here in the United States when it came out. So I bought that with Majora's Mask, and then when the white one, like the smaller white one, came out in that uh, Animal Crossing bundle, I bought that, and I convinced myself that it's an okay trade off because I got these awesome colored buttons now, and <laughs> The, the problem is, is like when you put them side by side, the the 3ds XL, not all of them, but some of them have IPS screens. So you got to like find the good ones, and it just looks Wait, way they better. They don't all have them. No, it's a Nintendo thing. Like you have to like it's like kind of like Samsung with their TVs. Not all their TVs have like the same panels. Some are from like China and some from Japan or whatever it is. But. Um, oh. Or different manufacturers they, they get their panels from. So same thing with the new 3DS XL. Some of them have 
uh, TF panels. Some of them have IPS panels. The TF panel is what's in the smaller 3DS, the new 3DS, um, which has a worse viewing angle, which isn't really the reason because why are you going to look at your thing, your 3DS in an angle? Um, but it's more just like the colors and the um, like the it's it's like less washed out. Uh, like the blacks are better. It's like going between a plasma and an LCD in like 2004. Like it's a huge difference. So huh. um, it's okay. I'm I'm still going to keep both. Um, yeah, I prefer the small one just because I mean, a it's more portable. I have them both. I totally. have like, my US one is a big screen, and my Japanese one is a small one. I prefer the small one just because like it's easier to take around with me. Um, and it looks good, but yeah, a game like this is one of the few games where, again, like I said, like the bigger the screen, the better, you know, like some games were just kind of meant to be on a big screen. Yep. Um, yeah. So that, I get it. That That's it. And I like it. I finally bought Xenoblade 3D on uh 3DS. Nice. So that'll be 400 hours that I put into that. And I also bought a Wii U <laughs> today. So I'm going to, and I bought, oh, a, wow, nice. yeah, I bought a Wii U and because part of playing through this game has kind of like almost re-reminded me because it's like twilight princess hd is coming out and i really want to play that um and of course the thing that we'll talk about actually let's save this off for the next segment because we'll talk about uh what we hope for for the next zelda and uh yeah just you know zelda's turning 30 so we'll talk about that Uh, wait we didn't talk about the ending oh you mean the credits (laughs) yeah i mean the the credits are awesome. That's all I really wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay, done. It's, it's, a, it, it's a victory lap that is extended in the 3DS version because they have to uh, you put all the staff in for the remake as well. So you get okay. bonus stuff in the 3DS version as well. Well, the yeah, 3DS I mean, it's version like, also has that amazing uh, – sorry, CJ – has that amazing um, uh, orchestrated version of the, yeah. the main theme that wasn't in the N64 one. 100% yeah. correct. It's it's like it's definitely a victory lap, and it's you know seeing the characters back in their natural habitats or whatever. It's just and they're all peace and they're singing together. It, it is the return of the Jedi ending in the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Exactly, it's a great ending. Better than Return of the Jedi. Um, all right, well let's yep, let's, no. di- let's oh, come on. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with our fourth and final segment. Stick around. Here's some more music from Ocarina of Time. talk about you know what we want for the next zelda because we've been seeing it the last couple years and we got to see a little bit more video footage i guess it was two months ago on the nintendo direct we got a really really short clip of a hooded link on his horse with tons of gear and just an absolutely beautiful looking world and i just this is this is probably the game that's now at the top of my list of just absolutely needing to know more about needing to play as soon as humanly possible. And that's why I bought a Wii U because of a, 
you know, not to blow smoke, John, but like I want to play Xenoblade Chronicles X. Everyone's been talking. <laughs> nice. Everyone's been talking that game up uh, so much, and it is just a beautiful game. And um, you know, obviously, localization I heard is pretty decent. So um, <laughs> there's there's that yeah, and Splatoon. I haven't played, and, and CJ's been oh yeah Splatoon and every week on the Player One podcast. And uh, yeah, there's still some there's still some good stuff coming out for that. And uh, so yeah, so I, I picked that up and. That'll be that'll be coming. So I'll be ready for the next Zelda. But uh, like John, I mean, you've been playing these games for thirty years. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, because it would have been about eighty six. So yeah, thirty years. So, like, what 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 do you want out of this this next Zelda? Do you want a like really different game, or do you want it to be, I guess, kind of similar to the older ones? Well, I mean, everything they've said so far about this one is is like what I needed to hear, essentially, you know, in that they're aiming to, and I don't, I don't remember the exact quotes anymore, but I've kind of got it buried in my head now that this is essentially going to be an open world game that doesn't hold your hand, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they're very clearly going back to the very first Zelda, which actually is still, like, I mean... It, in, in a sense, it's kind of my favorite game of all time. I mean, obviously, it's not like... Uh, you can't really compare it directly with a game like Ocarina of Time, which is so much more advanced. But like for its time and what it did and everything, um, you know, in, in, factoring in inflation, to, so to speak, of game <laughs> development, I feel like it's like the best game I've ever played. And, and, and because of that, like I'm super excited because it sounds like what they're doing is going back to the original roots um, with this new game. Um, and I was thinking about it just today, actually, but like... You know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is like, because when you think about all the effort that it takes to make an open world game and to make a, a game of this like size, like it's it's no small thing. Um, mm-hmm. Especially, you know, I'm playing. And we worked on Xenoblade Chronicles X, but now I'm playing it too for fun and like just seeing how massive the game is and how much there is to do. Um, and you know, if it's even anything like that scale, that's a game you can make every what you know three, four, five years if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this Zelda has the potential to be like the sort of um like the final chapter in the sort of modern zelda evolution i guess because i feel like from here the only place to go other than like if it's like the sort of thing where they're constantly adding content to this one game or something i feel like the only place to go from here is to like try something new and different you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so this to me seems like it might be the actual like ultimate evolution of the formula that started with ocarina but taking all the elements of the old games like the freedom and the and the you know uh, not so much of a huge emphasis on story as uh, in in words as much as like the story just sort of tells itself through you playing the game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's like what a Zelda is all about. So I'm super excited for it. CJ, what about you? What do you want to see from this uh, so untitled Zelda game coming to the Wii U and probably NX? Well, I think uh, the comment that has has me most interested about it is when Aonuma said or he insinuated that they sort of came upon a they made a breakthrough or some kind of breakthrough that they wanted to explore, right? Mm-hmm. He did say that. I'm not just imagining that. That, that sounds right. That's why we <laughs> I mean I think that's what they said when they announced the delay and that it wasn't gonna yeah. be at E three. Yeah. Uh so there's that and also that Nintendo as a company, and you look at the games that they've released recently and how they have supported 
those games. And when you think about a game like an open world Zelda and what that could be and how that world could evolve over time through game updates or adding content, having the world change over time, like this could be a game where you would want to play it all year long. Like Mm -hmm. depending on what they do with it, they could make it so that the game is sort of separated from the on-disc experience where there is extra stuff to to come or something may happen in the world later on that you'll want to boot up the game, you know, in uh, two months, three months, six months, whatever. Uh, and that part is the part that really interests me. I think the video that we saw at last year's Game Awards where they were showing how big the world was, I mean, that was great, but it largely looked kind of empty. Oh, it looks so good, though, man. A little, a little <laughs> distressing to me because, I mean, you want the world to be big, of course, but you don't want it to be completely empty. I mean, I... I but I think there's something to be... I mean, that's one of I the big things with, like, Xenoblade Chronicles X. Sorry to cut you off, CJ. But, like, that, the, the world is absolutely vast, and it, and it leads to... Or it just gives off, like, a more realistic world because you actually... there There is some distance between things that you need to do. And it's not just like, oh, man, I just like I'm 30 seconds from the next town. I agree. I agree with you. But I think uh, Xenoblade, I don't think that looks empty. Like the screenshots and movies that I've seen, I don't think that world looks as empty as what we saw at the Game Awards 2014. Yeah, there's almost Uh, no there's almost no field like in the world of Xenoblade where you're not very close to some kind of enemy encounter, at least, you know, if not something to interact with the environment. But that said... I think that's got to be part of Zelda as well because, like, yeah. going back to help. the first Zelda, it, it was a, it, it, in a sense it was an open world. I mean, if you think about it, you could go anywhere and do anything in any order you want, and Absolutely. there were enemies everywhere, right? So I would, I would, I would hope that because you know one of the big complaints they did get with Ocarina of Time was that the world was very empty. Like the world was great, the overworld, mm-hmm. but there wasn't much going on. There's like two types of enemies or three or four types of enemies or whatever, and you know. It's just like day, night, day, night, and that's it. I'm sure there's a lot more to it this time. I mean, there has to be. Yeah, yeah. And I I mean, I think I'm curious to see what they do with in-game events if they do something like that. Um, You know, I mean, Nintendo seems to be on a kick of updates and supporting the game well after launch with with free content. So that is what makes me the most excited about it. It's like what sort of breakthrough did they come up with and what sort of content layout are we really going to see? Because I that changes everything about Zelda to me. Yeah. Like and it, it could be super interesting. I I want a Zelda that I am going to boot up for an entire year and have new stuff to uh to come and play. That's Definitely. A, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I, I guess I'm more on the side of like I would just rather have like a complete story. The problem that I, I never I'm never a person like once I complete the story, I never like like for Fallout or something or even for like the Zelda games, I never go back into the world and try to complete all the side quests. But I know that's not right. what you're talking about. But I mean, kind of is. I mean, even in Ocarina of Time, you have you know the family that's been turned into sculptulas yep. and. Uh, well, you know what? What's what's their backstory? Like, if there could be like a larger quest around that, like, wouldn't that be interesting to play? And I think it it certainly would be. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to see that play out. 
Yeah, I would love it if, you know, you can basically start the game and go right to, I mean, you'd have to know where it is, obviously, but if you could just go right to the end boss, like if you can basically, <laughs> and I don't mean you could actually get to him or fight him, I'm sure there will be reasons why you can't, but I mean, if you could just explore the world in that sense. Like a sense. chrono trigger. Like well, like up. the first Zelda, honestly, because you could go to Death Mountain. I mean, it's really scary up there when you only have like a wooden sword and so on, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... I want that sort of freedom to explore the world. And I, I see what CJ's saying too. And I could kind of, I mean, I don't, I admit I have a hard time imagining what like content updates for a Zelda game would be like. But I mean, I'm, I'm sure the main experience would be complete. Like, I don't think you'd have yeah. to worry about it not being like any other Zelda in that sense. But that said, like, if there is some way to add on to it, um, I was looking for that quote, CJ. And the thing that I found anyway was where he mentioned how, like, he found some. I already closed it, so I forgot the exact words. But he basically, <laughs> like, suggested that he found some kind of uh, new spin to take on the open world formula yeah. that he's really excited about. And he can't wait, he can't wait to show people. And, like, you know, I don't know what that could be, but I think that will largely determine, like we could have the same conversation, you know, six months from now and and it could be very different because we'll know a little bit more about the game or the story, you know, who knows, maybe the story is something where like, you know, there's a reason to have content updates because related to the story where it doesn't Mm. seem unnatural. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know what that would be, but they might be thinking or planning around that in a way that it would make sense. So, well, I think, I think, um, you know, like Kevin said, you know, you want a complete experience. I want a complete experience too. I am not saying that I don't want that because I, I definitely do. I mean, what are some ways that they could do it that could be interesting using Meverse or using online play? Uh, I mean, you could have a never-ending story type thing where you realize that there are other links in alternate dimensions doing the same quest that you're doing mm. and they could like they could really play with that it's, it, idea in interesting ways uh yeah but as long it, as it's it, not like a i just want to make sure like i could get this game on a disc and still twenty like 17 years later do a podcast on it and be able to play sure. it and not have like the online servers be down I agree. Oh, I'm I sure it fully agree. something like that. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm sure you'll be able to do that, but it'll be interesting to see what whatever it is they they're bringing that that seems new and whether that is new to open world gaming. I mean, yeah, I'm 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 super interested to hear more. <laughs> I have all the faith in the world with with this team and um, you know, just seeing what little we've seen from it. I just the thing that is maybe just stood out i think it was in december they did the nintendo direct i literally think we got like 10 seconds of footage and yeah just to see how beautiful that game looks on the uh the wii u or maybe they're just like maybe that's an up version for their next console or something like that that they're gonna you know share it with i don't know but um i just i the thing is i have no expectations for this game i don't know what i want i just know that I want it. You just want more Zelda. I just want yeah. I, I want more Zelda and, and I'm almost kind of like worried. Like I know Twilight Princess comes out in March. Um okay, so we're gonna have another Zelda game in March. And, you know, when does this game come out? It's probably gonna be Oh, this game comes out in November. November I mean yeah. like Zelda has always been a November game and yeah, the fact that they put the Twilight Princess thing in March just tells me that this is to tide you over for six yep. months while we yep. finish mm-hmm. this game. And, yep. you know, that brings an interesting, an interesting question too, right? Is if it is, really is coming out next November or next, you know, fall or whatever, let's say. Mm-hmm. That's right square in potential NX time frame, right? Yep. So 
to me, it just makes sense. And I mean, history has proven that this has worked out successfully for them. It just makes sense for this to be like a Wii U and NX game. You know, I mean, obviously, they're, they've been very clear to say it's a Wii U game. They've Even on the last uh, Nintendo Direct or whatever, they were like, coming next year for Wii U, like mm-hmm. very clearly. But I think it would be super cool. And yeah, we don't even know what NX is, so who knows? Maybe it's impossible. But if it really is like a, a thing where it's possible to put it on both, it would be a super cool way to launch that system. I don't know. Nintendo's. I'll stick with my theory of Nintendo just holding down that charge shot, getting ready to unleash just a hell of a lineup for the NX because they have to have learned their lessons by now that they cannot, in 2016, release a console without some games that are going to you know make people need this hardware. And uh, sure. But you can't not release the Wii U version at this point because too oh, many totally. people have bought it just in anticipation of this game. So that's a, that's just all the more reason why it would make sense to me to do both. I just did, I just did today, and like it's not like I drop I dropped two hundred dollars on a refurbished Wii U from Nintendo of America. Go to the oh, website if you're going to want a Wii U. You can get one for two hundred bucks cash. Um, not not cash, but um, this this, this <laughs> cigarettes cigarettes yeah. Um, I think. I don't know. There's going to be a really interesting next three or six months. I can't wait to see what they have in store for us. Amiibos, definitely. Shut your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) No more more Amiibos. Focus on making games. (laughs) The correct plural of Amiibo is Amiibo, Kevin Larrabee. So... Um, no, uh, you know, the other thing too, just to real quick is I was just looking at, uh, in the background, looking at some of the trailers that they've shown so far is like, I think it's exciting that they seem to have managed to blend the visual style of Wind Waker and like the more realistic Zeldas into one. Yeah. It looks like, it's, so uh, good. It looks like a Ghibli movie to me. Like yeah. it's got this, um, the expressiveness and that, and the sort of, uh, color, you know, palette of Wind Waker, which I obviously, I, I still think is the most beautiful maybe the most beautiful game ever made, like, honestly, yeah. not even hyperbole there. Like, it is yeah. gorgeous. And it seems that they've taken that, but given the sort of adult, like, uh, you know, it's weird. Like, in Zelda terms, it's like you have short Link and tall Link, right? And they've kind of <laughs> merged them in this one, it looks like, um, which is really exciting to me. It, it just it looks different. The only thing that you – and you have that, like, badass crossbow that he had in that original yeah. Nintendo Direct trailer. So, yeah. I, I have full faith. I just we just have to kind of wait and luckily there's plenty of other stuff to play like Majora's Mask on the Nintendo three D S, which sure. um which I've been playing and it's I um it's so weird stepping into that game. I don't wanna say like this is gonna sound really horrible, but it sounds like a like almost like a ripoff of <laughs> Ocarina of Time because it's like you visit all these things that looks they look familiar, but they're different, and it almost seems like it is just a like a cheap spinoff. But I'm actually really enjoying it, and now that I've kind of figured out the mechanics of the game, I've made it through two of the dungeons or temples or whatever, and now I am just fishing. So is this your first? Time, is this your first time playing Majora's Mask? Yeah, I, I never got through a temple when it originally. I, the mm. first time I played it was that GameCube uh, re-release because. Okay. It was 2000, man. I was I had a PlayStation 2 and a copy of Madden. I was and Oni. That's why I was playing Oni and Madden. Oh God, Majora's Mask is amazing. Um, I highly recommend playing through it. It 
you know, you, if you've read up any on the history, you might know or understand why it's the way it is. But they're basically given this task of making something with the Zelda, like what they built with Ocarina in like a year. Um, yeah. And that's why you see, I mean, they, they, they wove it into the story, like the world in a really smart way, but that's why you see a lot of stuff that looks familiar, but just slightly off. Like the entire game is sort of meant to give you like a bit of an uneasy feeling, like never really knowing what's going on or why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like it did it so well. Um, it's kind of short. There's not as many dungeons and stuff, but like the overall atmosphere and mood of that game, honestly, is like one of my favorites of all the Zelda games. Um, you know, we uh, we at Eight Four have become fortunate to become like uh, pretty friendly with Aonuma-san, the producer. Um, we've known him for a number of years now. But the first time I met him was a really long time ago at one of our uh, Ziff parties at E Three, actually, and we hit it off by talking about Majora's Mask. I, me and a, a friend of uh, a friend of ours called Jake Kazdal were like just talking to him about how much we love Majora, mm-hmm. and he was so mm-hmm. surprised to hear it, but so happy because it was one of his favorites too. <laughs> um, and that like has been like a lasting moment for me, a memory for me, I should say, of of this the whole thing because I really felt like Majora was like dark and brooding and just different and like a cool direction that they really haven't explored that much since. Mm-hmm. Um, so I highly recommend that game and play it and enjoy it and you know try to get through it without using walkthroughs and stuff as much as you can because um, there's a lot of that game that you don't have to see. I mean, you can see all of it, um, mm-hmm. but there's a ton of stuff you don't need to do, and they've made it a lot easier to do it. With so the much easier that bombers yeah. that bombers like notebook or whatever. Exactly. It, it just like. Yes. That that's the thing that always stressed me out when I was playing it originally is because I would always feel like, oh man, I just wasted thirty minutes because now time reset, I got nothing done and like that I don't want to feel like I'm like always stressed out trying to beat the clock. But you know, you can slow down time, you have the bomber's notebook, and it it has just been and it also it runs awesome on the new 3DS. Like it runs yeah. really smooth and it looks way better than Ocarina of Time on the on And the you 3DS. can use the the right stick which is which is great. Yep. And yep. uh it's I'm really enjoying it. And I do I do have that because just because it was a nice looking guide. I got that I think it's a Prima like hardbound strategy guide uh when that came out so I can always look at that. But um you should try using the the super guide thing that they have set up in there too. Like I think it is. Uh, I don't know it works. if I know what that is in the game. I don't think I've seen one. So it's it's at the very starting area. I think the mask salesman. It's in the same room with him. Oh, and okay. you crawl in there, and it gives you uh, very very short clips of video on like where you might want to be going next and sort of it doesn't to nudge you along right it nudges you along with and doesn't tell you what you have to do it's like here's oh, the area nice. that you should be going in or here's the platform you should focus on or and it's different camera angles than you would see in the actual game so oh, that's weird. really cool it's interesting <laughs> yeah it's it's really well done in majora's mask i wish they had gone back and done it for ocarina in the same way i like that a lot that's really cool uh, yeah. i will uh, totally do that because it's just like I, again, I, I have that itch. Oh, sure, it's sure. It's not cheating. It's, it's built into the game. Um, right. But yeah, go check that game out. And I, I've, this is this is weird, but just like on Instagram, uh, like when I was posting some stuff, like you get to kind of like look at your tags and like lots of people that have 3DSs have these two games. Like this is one of the most like Instagrammed games is these two, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask on the 3DS. So... Um, hopefully that's a good sign for how these are selling. Uh, and 3DS, 
like has every Zelda game except for the two Wii games and Link to the Past. So pretty good system for that stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, damn, I think that's that's a two-hour podcast. That's a two-hour <laughs> and 50-minute <laughs> podcast. I could talk about Zelda forever, man. Uh, it's like my favorite game series by far. Um, there's just so much. There's so many good memories for me like over the years just of that series. So anytime you want to talk more Zelda, and we will do a Zelda 2 <laughs> podcast. Even if we have to do it without you, Kevin Larrabee, we'll just do it ourselves and send it to you. Yeah, you, you send, me, send me the <laughs> files. I'll, I'll edit the music in, and I'll, I'll put it up on the server. So... Um, but yeah, for, for real, it's been uh, a blast talking to you guys and for, for all this stuff, it's just an incredible topic. One of the best series of all time. Uh, and it is something that if you're listening to this for the first time, go pick these games up on the 3ds shop around because there are still copies in stores. You just need to go to like Best Buy. Don't go to Amazon and, uh, secret, uh, best place to get this stuff is, uh, through eBay, Nintendo has like an eBay store now with all their games in stock. So if it ever sells out at stores, really? yeah, they have uh, tons of stock in their eBay store. So another good way if you want to go buy some stuff. But uh, before we wrap up, uh, of course, you can find uh, all these episodes at backmyplay.com. We have a great Patreon page at patreon.com slash backmyplay if you want to support uh, these shows. And uh, you can find John uh, every other week on the 8-4-Play podcast at 8-4.jp uh, where you can check out the A4 website and uh, the podcast where you guys uh, talked about Star Wars last week a lot. We spoil it too. So, I mean, we put pretty heavy spoiler warnings, but if you are going to go listen for the first time, make sure you look at the uh, time codes and avoid the spoilers if you haven't seen the movie. Although, really, if you haven't seen the movie by now, like, what are you doing? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, CJ. Um, exactly. I, I saw it today. So, yeah, just, just in the nick of time. But, see. CJ, on, on the EGM scale, one to 10, what's your score? <laughs> uh, I thought it was an eight, 8.5. Okay. Good, good. Same as me. I, I'd give it an eight. Man, All I right. thought it was. That, that that that's like that's a great movie. Just don't like I was talking to CJ before. Don't read any of those articles that says like the fifteen things wrong with the four. <laughs> don't worry about that stuff. Just chill out. Hey, right? Ace are very high scores by our EGM standards. I will say, like we were, we use the full scale when we review stuff. So eight is eight is a, eight is not a bad score. That's right. Okay. Fine. Fair. Fair. All right. <laughs> and you can also find CJ at. At Super Pack, I'm sorry, John is at John TV on Twitter. If you want to follow him on there, you can go back and look at uh, maybe what was it like a month ago that you were back home and you got to take pictures of all that stuff. Yeah, I was just thinking about it. Maybe I'll go and uh, so my Instagram is also John TV. So yeah. maybe I'll find all that stuff, the Zelda related stuff only, and throw it on Instagram uh, totally. later. Too, so you can check it out if you want to. Absolutely, um, and also uh, CJ is at Super Pack on Twitter, and you can. Find him uh, just about every week at the Player One podcast, and you guys just put up an episode today. I'm going to try to get this out tonight, so we'll say today. And uh, also, you guys have Game of the Year stuff coming up in a week or so. A couple of days, yeah. We're doing our year-end wrap-up, and you're going to be a guest on that show. Yes. That's going to be a lot of fun. 
Yeah. We'll bring up Zelda 2 and be, are we talking about like worst games of the of the uh, franchise? Oh, all right. I got to go. <laughs> Don't worry. No, dude, prop, props to you, CJ. I just wanted to say, by the way, you guys have been like, uh, the, uh, you know, the picture of longevity. I mean, you guys are never late. You're always doing a podcast. You're like, what are you like, 500 episodes now or something? Like uh, 477. Yeah. Jeez, man. That's missed, impressive. I think, one or two weeks in our nine year run. Was that like baby births and stuff, or what was the like, you know, uh, what what caused you to miss those weeks? Because like you guys are consistent. I think there was one week where we actually did an episode, but it was so bad that I did not post it, <laughs> and then I think we uh, skipped a week because nobody could record at uh, okay. frozen time. So yeah. Wow, that's impressive, man. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you. I was listening to the Player One podcast when I was playing Crackdown in college. That's nice. crazy. That's how, like that's how far back and how weird this whole thing is these days. Um, but yeah, lots of great podcasts to listen to and uh, you know follow these guys on Twitter because you're going to get to see some really rad stuff. And uh, you know who knows maybe in maybe in like a like a month or two we could talk about Majora's Mask because we can spend some time and, and get through that and it'll be fun to talk to some people that got to play through that when it was actually the year 2000 and not 2015 so um thank you guys for for taking the time to come on john it's always great to talk to you man sure thanks for having me man i'm glad we finally got to do this and i'll see i'll see you out in japan in like march i'm heading out in march so i'm sure we'll get together maybe i'll play some zelda 2 before then but um definitely get like a slice of pizza or something and uh Of course, CJ, I'll talk to you in a couple days when we get to talk about the best games that we played in 2015. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on Back in My Play. Always a pleasure. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Don't forget to, uh, again, subscribe on iTunes while you're there. Check out the uh, A4 Play podcast and Player One podcast. If you enjoy those shows, submit reviews. If you don't like those shows, just go do something else better with your time. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Next episode, 99% Locked In is going to be all about the Sega CD with uh, also from the Player One podcast, Greg Stewart. And then I also have a couple irons in the fire. So there are some more shows coming down the line. So thank you so much as always for tuning in, downloading, and hopefully you get to go back in time with us again next time when we talk about some more old video games. We'll see you next time.